subatomic gigantic occasion was a sweep in Japan nation when along came a dude with an ultra attitude, a common Morado, the greatest kicker of Japan. And of all man. Last you short now, baby. To not talk big now, baby. Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome back to Kaiju Conversation. I'm your host, Elijah, and joining me as always, my lovely co-host and editor. Hello, I am Rex. And I am doing this from not my typical location. I am currently on vacation, but I packed all of my podcasting equipment just so we could do this recording. And let me tell you something. Uh... Security did not like me. (laughs) (laughs) So the airport I went through, they had me like take off my shoes, my hat, my jacket, take everything out of my pockets. Like I even had to take my mask out of my pocket and hold it in my hand. Um, (laughs) They requested all of my electronics out and they're like, you need your microphone out, your uh, mic uh, stand, your shock arm, your shock mount, your pop filter, your webcam your USB port, your uh, light ring, um, my laptop, my phone, wallet. Um, and then they were like, I still didn't pass because I had like facial cleanser. And they were like, so you have two options. One, you get escorted out by security or you just let us take this and throw it away, which it's like a $7 bottle of facial cleanser and you can be on your way. And I'm like, well, I'm not going to just, get escorted out i've paid five like four hundred dollars for this trip i gotta risk a seven dollar bottle of facial cleanser i guess i'm gonna have to take the hit like i i'm I'm not i'm not going back now i stayed up all night just to go to the airport that's another story uh to do this flight i had to stay up all night because there was no way i was going to wake up after two hours of sleep Mm. um So I stayed up from noon all the way until 11 p.m. the following day. So I stayed up for like 33 hours. And we were supposed to record yesterday, but like I I started studying my Japanese and I just passed out. And uh, Jack – so this is the funny – so they – Jack and Nathan, um, Jack G-Man – uh, and Nathan, host of the Monster Island Film Vault, the, I'm I'm on a trip with them for minus one, and we were going to watch Monarch yesterday. And I was studying, and I was like, "Let me get, give me a little bit of time. I need to, you know, I want to do my Japanese studies, um, even though I'm, you know, on vacation. I still want to keep that up, which it's it's been horrible. Like I've only studied like 30 minutes a day, if even that. Um, I mean, that's better than nothing. It's better than nothing. Um, but I was studying and I was tired and I, I, I was planning on drinking one of my energy drinks, but I ended up not being able to. Well, I, I just I didn't know where they were because Nathan bought them and put them in the fridge and didn't tell me, even though he says he did. He did not tell me. <laughs> um, and uh, I was studying and I just passed out. And I get so Nathan came up and was like, when do you want to? And I said, I want to study. Give me a little bit. And 10 minutes passed and they, you know, they were like, well, he's probably still studying. And then an hour passed and Jack was like, I'm going to go get him. And he walked up here and I was 
out. Like I was so out. Like I well, I mean, when you think about it, like it was midnight when he came and checked on me. I had been up since noon. That would have been let's see, what's point forty eight minus twelve? Uh, thirty six. So thirty six hours after I was, I after I woke up, I passed out. Um, and Jack was like, "I'm not waking him up." <laughs> <laughs> I I went like twenty six hours without eating, or no, I went thirty hours without eating, and I went, uh, and then I went thirty six hours without sleeping. Um. It was awful, and I flew like seven hundred miles um and dealt with three airports, which is not fun um so needless to say it's been it's been a fun ride um I can imagine I can't wait uh i I go back home not tomorrow well tomorrow as of this recording <laughs> um as of this recording, I go back tomorrow. And I hope to God that the Tennessee International Airport is not as anal about what I have to like take off to like get on my plane because it's obnoxious. I'm sure I'm still going to have to unpack all of my recording equipment because they're going to be like, what's this long metal tube you have? Is this a bomb? Are you trying to bomb us? What what's this cylinder? Is this is this a bomb? No, it's a blue Yeti microphone. So, I've had an, an interesting weekend, and meeting Jack has been so much fun. Like I vibe with him. <laughs> <laughs> I vibe with him so hard. It's great. Well, it's good to hear you enjoying him, <laughs> enjoying the company. How uh, how have you been? I know we well, <laughs> we haven't talked. Good. <laughs> good. Pretty good. I haven't had. I was gonna say I haven't had too much to do, but that's a lie, especially with the release of a uh, little movie. Yeah. So normally we we talk about what Tokusatsu we've watched, but I'm just gonna be outright and say I haven't watched any. So like I I mean that's not the reason we're not doing that segment, but I I haven't watched any, so nothing there. But we are here, and we're not gonna beat around the bush like we normally do. Mm-hmm. We are here. Because finally, after a whole year, we have made it. <laughs> Gojira minus one has finally come out. It's finally here. And if, like, honestly, I mean, this technically isn't the end of the year for us because there's still one more episode and one or two more episodes this year. But. If, if there was like a season finale, this is our season finale. Like this whole month has been nothing but minus one. This year, this whole year has been nothing but minus one. Mm. Yeah, it's all been building up to this, really. <laughs> right, because uh, for anybody who's new, if you if you like minus one, go watch Yamazaki's other films, and we have covered a good chunk of them. Um, yeah, we've covered Returner, his second film. Space Battleship Yamato, his first really big budget blockbuster movie. Parasites Part 1 and 2. And, and The Great the War Great of Meters, Which but is very also, relevant to Minus One. Yeah, but we've also touched a little bit on arguably the most relevant films to Minus One, though we haven't done full episodes on them. The Always Sunset Trilogy and uh, 
Eternal Zero. Correct. And then we've also, like you and I both, I mean, we've done two bonus episodes covering the news for Minus One. Right, yeah, that too. So, I mean, there's probably 12 hours worth of audio that you guys could listen to for Yamazaki and getting a little bit more insight on Minus One. God, Um, we talk a lot, don't we? (laughs) We do, we do. Um, And you and I have not talked at all about About Minus One. One. So. not at all is a bit of a lie, but, you know. Like 20 much. minutes. We have talked 20 minutes worth of Minus One. Mm. So, like, there is no way we are not going to, like, dive into, like, insane, like, everything here. Yeah. <laughs> oh. So, I the guess end. we, I mean, let's let's tell the viewers where we're at in our Minus One journey. Because... Both you and I are now, we've lost our G cards. Um, <laughs> we, we live in a post, post Godzilla minus, minus one, one world. So, and we've, we've been saying that, like the, that's the terms we've coined here. <laughs> um, so first, how many times have you seen it? How many times are you planning on seeing it? Uh, for me, I'll start with the fact that I have, as of just a couple hours ago, I have now seen the film four times. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Uh, I saw it twice in gold class um, at an early screening on November 30th, which for you Americans would have been during November 29th. And gold, uh, pa- I mean, it's not like IMAX. Pass. It's it's just a regular theatrical screen. It's yeah, it's a regular theater, but like they serve you like drinks and meals and stuff. I didn't really bother with any of that. I just grabbed popcorn and a coke. Right. And that's all. So, so for anybody who, for anybody who lives in the United States, and if you've gone to this chain, the Alamo Draft House, it's basically that. Um, Actually, like it's exactly that because Alamo Draft House does the exact same stuff. Mm. And then, so those both of those gold class screenings were on the same day. I kind I didn't intend on seeing it twice in one day. I peer pressure you. <laughs> it kind of just as soon as the movie ended, you called me. <laughs> Literally, as the movie was ending, I called you. Because yeah. my showing ended the same time yours did. Mm. Um, <laughs> and yeah, nah, nah. I was like, you know, I don't want to spoil my thoughts, but like, maybe I could. Maybe there's another showing in like two, two or three hours. I might, maybe I should go again. So, I mean, we can say this, like your reaction was the exact same reaction that I called you like two hours prior and did. <laughs> like you and true. I had legitimately the exact same reaction. Like it was to AT beat for beat. Same thing. You and I were saying the same thing, acting the same way. <laughs> <laughs> So I'm just going to say this. I feel like you and I are going to have similar opinions. We might have different criticisms or different things we appreciate. But I think at the end of the day, you and I are going to have the same effing opinion. Oh, yeah, 100%. I I fully agree with you. (laughs) (laughs) Um, You're dead dead on. 
I think you're dead on. So have you seen I mean, my letterbox? <laughs> I, I haven't actually. I, I, I've I have tried to avoid reading and looking at what you said because I wanted to go in like completely blind with what right, you right. what you think. As blind um, as you can, I guess. Yes. And I've wanted to tell you so much because I know there's certain things you're gonna like that I like, and there's certain things you're gonna be like, yep, that's exactly what Elijah would say. But I've been like, I gotta hold off. Gotta hold off, <laughs> and here we are. And I'm, I, I, I actually keep going. I'm sorry I interrupted you. Finish your experience, oh, yeah, and okay. then okay. And then yeah, yesterday I saw it for a third time, just at a standard showing at my close by theater with uh, one of my friends. And then today I saw it at the exact same theater, exact same room too. I think with a few of my other friends. Love that. that was just like about that's showing just finished about four hours prior to this recording. <laughs> so you've seen it four times. Yes. And right. Because because of all the times I've seen it <laughs> and the amount of tickets I bought, because I bought all the tickets for my friends. <laughs> they they gave me money, of course, for it. But um, since I purchased all those, <laughs> I now have enough points to on my like cinema membership to see it again for free. <laughs> That's so are you going to see it a fifth time? I might see it one more time one more time gotcha. at the end of its run. Gotcha. So I you have me beat currently. I have only seen it three times. Yeah, I saw you're gonna have 20... me beat you're you're playing the long game here. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. So <laughs> I saw it on the 29th uh the like premiere I saw it in IMAX at the earliest showing, and as soon as that was over, I had to get in my car and drive 30 minutes to get to the next showing that started in 30 minutes. I can't believe I saw it. <laughs> no, you and I both saw it twice on the premiere day. I love that. Um, so, yeah, so I saw it in IMAX. Drove 30 minutes. It started 30 minutes. I had the speed the whole way. For my second viewing, I had to... I, I'm i going to be honest. I think I'm past the honeymoon phase. Um, oh. Because for the second showing, I had to write notes. Not only for the podcast, but Kaiju United asked me to write them a review to be like the complete circle of my Godzilla Minus One coverage because I wrote for them an article that has aged so good, like fine <laughs> wine. Like I was on point with that article. Um, I am so proud of that article. Like, Ooh. <laughs> um, so then I drove and I went to Dolby. So I saw it in IMAX and then I saw it in Dolby. And then after that, I had to stay up all night, get ready, fly out you know, meet with uh, Jack and Nathan and his brother and Jack's sister. And we, I mean, we just hung out. I was exhausted. I'm happy we didn't see it Thursday. And then Friday, which was yesterday, today, I haven't slept yet. Um, we saw it in 4DX, mm -hmm. which I've first, this was my first time going to a Regal Theater. So first time there. First time in 4DX. I've gone to MX4D, but I've never done 4DX. And this is my fourth film in 40X. 
Um, the other ones were Jurassic World, Godzilla King of the Monsters, and Godzilla vs. Kong. Those were in MX40, which is GBK the same thing. Um, oh my god, my back is going to be broken. This <laughs> I will say this. This MX, this 4DX experience was the best 4D experience I've ever had. Um, they like went crazy on the movements. Like, <laughs> if this is anything like what Godzilla the Ride is, oh my god, Yamazaki's a genius at theme park rides too. Like, wow. But we'll, I'll, I'll probably talk a bit more about that when we talk about the movie itself. But uh, no, we did that. And then tomorrow slash today, we might go see it again. We're going to the mall again, which is where the theater's at. And I'm going to suggest we go see it in IMAX or ScreenX, <laughs> either or. Um, just so I can add one more viewing. And then Sunday, when I get home, it's go straight to the theater, watch it again with a family member. And then Monday, starting Monday, so Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, I'm going to a theater in the morning and I am staying there all day to watch it for each viewing in screen X. And then Thursday, which currently I, I'm, before I, well, when I get back, I'm going to have to text my coworkers because I've already asked to open on Thursday so I can get out at like four or five and go see minus one twice on Thursday night. Um, so by the time I'm done, it's going to be either 20 or 19. Um, tad obsessive, but alas, needless to say, minus one is going to be very much on my mind. And when I get back to work, that's all I'm going to talk about. (laughs) (laughs) But with that, I kind of feel like we should go ahead and transition into probably my most like if we're talking episodes this is before this my most excited topic we talked about was shin common writer right this is taking the cake so we're gonna see how well this like goes against that so are you ready my body is ready so my first question to you is, Arega Gojira? <laughs> that is Godzilla. You know, the title for my Kaiju United review was, That is Godzilla. <laughs> so I'm just going to jump in here and say right off the bat, I mean, we have the Toho opening logos, and then we get... It's, it's not 70th like... 70th anniversary production. Yes. I love that. Like, that's, I mean, that's very Japanese, and it makes sense. Like, we've seen stuff like that before, but I just love that. Like, I think that's such a cool little thing to do at the. Yeah, that's right. That did appear in Final Wars, didn't it? Yes, it did with uh, uh, Godzilla 54. And yeah, Yeah, in the background. And then the Ifakube music. (laughs) Now, what's interesting is Minus One does not have an opening title. Um, this is the second Godzilla movie that hasn't had an opening title because King of the Monsters did not either. Yeah, but both films have end with the title. (laughs) Right. Um, kind of an interesting, like I, I, that's something that I've always found interesting. Um, the whole like opening title and ending title, right. Um, 
Final Wars kind of had both because it had the Godzilla Final Wars Cal Cooper title sequence, but at the end it had Godzilla roaring and it ended with it Godzilla. Oh, and yeah, 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 that too. Yeah. Um, and then I I want to say Godzilla did Godzilla versus Kong have one? I don't think it did. No. I think it just had an opening. No, it just had the opening credits. Yeah. Um, but I know some films do have opening and closing. I want to say a couple Marvel movies do, if I remember correctly. Probably, probably. Um, probably like an Avengers movie or something. Yeah, imagine. yeah, yeah. Um, but I, I, I think it's kind of fun. You know, to me, it kind of that idea kind of just echoes like were like you don't need to know like you know the title of the, like they like it's the assumption of you know the title of this movie you know what you're watching Wait, you, you know what ticket you paid yeah and the, like the end title is more like a a bow like a final bow like yeah this is godzilla minus one yeah yeah this, exactly. you just exactly. you just experienced godzilla minus one <laughs> Um, but after that, we get an, a couple of establishing shots and a couple of uh, close-ups of a fighter jet yes, flying a zero to an fighter, island. To be specific, yes, um, to an island in 1945, right before the war ended, World War Two. Mm-hmm. And, and this, this island, is this island has an interesting name as well. Yes, what uh, what's the name? Odo Island. Which you and I knew. I, I was told about that a while ago. Um, right. But what I didn't know is it was like, I thought they were just going to kind of pass it off because they kind they did that in Shin Godzilla. They were like, oh yeah, well, uh, Goro Maki was from Odo Island. Um, no, I figured, um, they'd, I figured they'd have a scene on there. I figured there'd be a scene. I wasn't sure. Um, but I love that it was like it's it's actually relevant and it comes up throughout the film. Um, yeah, no, and this, this scene the f- really sets the stage for the entire film and you know the conflict of our main protagonist who we're introduced to in this scene, Koichi right. Shikishima. And I I love Yamazaki knows how to frame a plane. Like that's mm-hmm. something that I learned in this opening. Um, <laughs> I think he learned that from Eternal Zero. No, I was I was gonna say like the I'm like I really want to watch Eternal Zero because throughout yes. the film and I'll I'll bring it up um these specific shots, but there are a ton of shots of the uh fighter jets and the battleships that Yamazaki just mm, he knows how to make a it's not a visually interest well, it is visually interesting. It's not a visually like unique shot but it's very artistic um it's very stylized but it's a nice stylized it's it's like oh this is a like i love what i'm seeing here um and i think it's you know we brought up eternal zero i think it's very worth noting that the eternal zero bleeds throughout this entire film especially shikishima's character (laughs) <laughs> right. And, and and I'm just going to say this now. This film, like everything about this film is a Yamazaki movie. Like, yes, 100%. The, 
if you watch all of our coverage on Returner, Battleship Yamato, Parasite Part 1 and 2, Great War of Archimedes, and what you've talked about, Always Sunset 1, 2, 3, Ghost Book, and The Eternal Zero, everything this we've is said, like, like, it's... This is, as described in the press releases, the culmination of his work. Yes. It feels like it. If you've seen his films, this is this is the end result of what's come before. Yes, this is undoubtedly a Takashi Yamazaki film. Like, this is, and, and, and I, I want to talk about this throughout, but this is, like, I've been saying this feels like the new Final Wars. This is absolutely the Final Wars of the Reiwa era, simply because Final Wars is undoubtedly a Ryue Kitamura film, which we talk about extensively in our Versus episode. Mm-hmm. This is undoubtedly Yamazaki. Like everything about it, it's it's flaws and it's it's pros. Like everything right. about it and, and, is and a you know Yamazaki. Interesting, film. is it feels like it also subverts. It feels like it subverts a bit of what I'd, you'd expect from a Yamazaki film. A little bit, yeah. And I, and you're mostly talking about the ending, correct? The ending, okay. and also like. You know, the one thing I'll I'll say this early um, is that I think this film is perfectly paced. Uh, Like from beginning to end, I think this Yamazaki films tend to kind of, they're good, but they always go go on for a little too long. Usually about 10, 15 minutes too long. Yeah. Even my... This film does not. This film, I'd say, is basically perfectly paced. (laughs) <laughs> right even my uh my i'm just gonna say it this way my favorite yamazaki film parasite part one i think i even said in that you could cut out like five minutes if i remember right from our recording i said you could cut about a, out about five minutes but right, outside of yeah. that like it's a perfect script i love the parasite part one script right i mean parasite part one isn't too long either so it makes sense that mm. there shouldn't be too much um yeah like i feel like it's always sunset movies they're all great. Some they go a tiny bit too long. They go about right. ten minutes too long. Um, Return is about ten Yamato. minutes too long. Yamato is about twenty Yamato's. minutes too long. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> his worst movie. <laughs> yeah, still okay movie though. Right. Um, but no. So after after we get the 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 fighter jet flying and and landing, we're introduced to our main character. Yeah, Shikishima. And he is clearly mm. something's um he gets out of the plane and and we're we're established that they're repairing his plane in air quotes um what I like about it though is they don't outright say he's here for repairs until much later right he, yeah, they they, they kind of infer yes. That's something Yamazaki always trusts that his audience. Yeah. Yamazaki trusts the audience in all of, in pretty much all of his movies. <laughs> yes. He trusts them to be able to understand what's going on, which is something Christopher Nolan does as well. And that's something Jack brought up when him and I talked about Oppenheimer. Hmm. Like, I mean, I mean that trust that Yamazaki has is prevalent throughout the film. Like with the, photos that we'll, I'm sure we'll talk about a bit later as well because mm-hmm. they don't directly tell you what the photos are 
but then when you first get an actual look at the photos, you're like, oh, and then they tell you a bit later. Right, and that's something this, I'll just say this, this script is written a lot like how he did Parasite Part 1, how things were established yes. and then paid off. Yes, yes, 100%. Which, which is a little hint at, at my opinion. Just a little. <laughs> just a little. Just just a tiny, tiny little bit here. Um, yeah, going back to the story here. So, yeah, the mechanics, a group of mechanics on Odo Island are taking a look at the uh, at his Zero Fighter and the leader of this group, the chief of this group, Tachibana, you know, talks a bit to Shikishima, like, good work on, good work on landing here bit of a crappy runway um but we can't find any issues on your plane and he's very obvious and very obviously thanks to the you know the performances of the actors you know it's very clear to the audience that he's shikishima establishes that he's a kamikaze pilot and it's very clear that he's abandoned his duty and it's just hiding out on the island which real quick tachibana do you think that's a Shin Godzilla reference or a GMK reference or both? I'm gonna I'm gonna be honest. When I think of the name Tachibana, I ever think of either GMK or Kamen or Rider. Or Kamen Rider, yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, I, I, I thought that was kind of a cool an intentional thing. reference. I, I feel like there's definitely references to GMK later on, whether well, yeah, intentional or not. <laughs> Very similar sequences. But well, I don't know if this one was necessarily intentional. In this movie, I think there's a Taki and a Tachibana. So there is both. Yeah, there is a Taki. In, yeah, in this, one of the mechanics is named Taki. So fun little thing. Probably not meant to be a Kamen Rider or Shin Kamen Rider reference, yeah. but it is a little fun thing Actually, to at least yeah, take note of. Tachibana, Taki? Yeah, now that I think about that. You know, maybe that is a Kamen Rider reference, actually. I didn't maybe. think about that. But you know what? That's a good point. <laughs> Which we were, again, we, I found out, I was told he was a kamikaze pilot and he was a coward. Um, so that was something I already knew about. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's interesting. You know, that knowledge was very interesting to me when I watched Eternal Zero. And, you know, a big part of the plot in that movie is of our main characters in the present finding out about their grandfather who is known by most people in from who'd been around him as being a coward of, of a fighter pilot who was a kamikaze pilot, but never, he would always leave the battle. He, his plane would always come back without a scratch on it. So that was very interesting to me when I watched that. And I could definitely feel that character's name was Miyabe, and I could definitely got a similar feeling of Miyabe from uh, from Shikishima, even though they are very different characters with different conflicts. Right, right. And I, I, I have been wondering if... I mean, this film definitely feels like he took aspects of Archimedes, Eternal Zero... And like, the Always and- Trilogy. And the Always Trilogy and heavily like worked those in. Um, oh, one hundred percent. I mean, this is basically a stealth stealth 
10th anniversary remake of Eternal Zero. (laughs) (laughs) Now, what's interesting is, so Kamiki's character doesn't respond when Tachibana makes the assumption. He kind of, you know, I mean, Tachibana never directly states what he's thinking, but you can tell they both, they both know what each other's, what's in each other's minds. Right, they're both aware. And Which credit to the performances of both uh, Ryunosuke Kamiki and Munataka Aoki in this in mm-hmm. this scene. No, I, I love the acting in this movie. This movie. Yeah, no, the performances are all pretty great. <laughs> yeah. And I'll, I'm going to highlight one later that I think you will heavily appreciate. <laughs> um, it, but he storms off because he doesn't appreciate the assumption, even though he knows, like, deep down that that is... That is the truth. Um, and as he sits, I mean, one interestingly, of the... I read in the, I, I, there's a novelization of a film written by Yamazaki and interesting, it actually expands a little bit on this oh. uh, and how he actually, not a, a huge deal, but it expands a little bit on this, on why he ch- went to Odo Island specifically, because he thought the, he thought it'd be easier going to the mechanics who would chew him out less than the superior officer. <laughs> And there's even an, uh, an extra scene that I'll bring up a tad bit later, but continue. Well, I was just going to say, following this, um, one of the mechanics as he, he so Kamiki's character storms off, sits down at the shore, and one of the other mechanics says that he doesn't blame him, and and basically says this, I mean, this right. war is stupid, right? Why, why die honorably when the outcome is already clear? Right. And honor and death is something very important in this film. Oh, yeah. Uh, And they almost contrast each other with their importance. Honor isn't necessarily meant by death, and death isn't necessarily meant honor. Um, Yeah, and there's a a big theme of the film is life in and of itself. To live, what it means to live. Which... I love that. Like that's that isn't something you've really seen in the Godzilla universe when it comes to no, not human really. characters. I mean the 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 Kiryu saga touched on it when in terms of Godzilla and putting his bones back into the sea, but like elements, it's 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 something that has been touched on a little in the franchise, but never to this extent, right? And it. And putting it in the post-war era Japan, like th- that is so valuable to this film. That helps it so much. Right. Um, but we'll, we'll talk about that as that becomes more and more important. But one thing I did find a little weird was as – so as, as Kamiki's character is sitting there on the rocks, he looks down and there's these weird fish – that are floating just dead. Yeah. Um, I always took that as a little bit of a reference to the oxygen destroyer and, and the death of the fish. Possibly. Um, I mean, but also, I, th- I think the, the idea is that like, I, the radiation. I, kinda, I don't think, I don't think it's radiation actually. Cause like later in the film, they talk about how like, they talk about specifically and in their strategy to kill Godzilla. Spoilers, 
this episode's going to have a lot of spoilers, by the way. So go watch. Oh, yeah. Um, We're just we're going to break down the entire film. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Like they talk a bit about um, like how pressure in the water, like when a sea creature rises so rapidly, it causes uh, the pressure can kill them, essentially. Mm -hmm. So how I'm interpreting it potentially based on the novel is that is that perhaps the pressure of them rising in fear from Godzilla is what's killing them maybe i could i mm. could be completely off the mark on that but that's just a thought i had but gotcha. they, either way they they the novel clarifies that they look weird because they've regurgitated their stomachs oh interesting <laughs> yeah. so oh well that, that i'm happy I that's why they look that- weird because <laughs> like the whole time I'm I, like during my my viewings I've been staring at them like what are these like they don't <laughs> even look like fish they look like they have a huge honestly, eyeball honestly deep sea fish are just weird looking things so I I, I can fully true. I can suspend my disbelief <laughs> even before well I I mean it's they're not too like weird them like oh this takes me out it's more like what are like out of sheer interest like what are these what Right, right, right. Yeah. Where do they come from? Where do like that's so interesting. Like it, it just draws me in. Like that's that's all that does is just drawing me in. And it's it's a great way to start this film because I mean, right off the bat, like we're established our main character, we're established his biggest problem, and we are already introduced to already the mystery. Got a bad omen. <laughs> right, and that automat like that's this is within the first two minutes. And we are drawn in immediately. We're asking questions. We're understanding things. And it just keeps rolling. Um, Following this, it cuts to the night of the same day where they, to my understanding, it was after dinner. Yeah. So, yeah, it's in the film. Kamiki's just coming back um, from like. He'd sat at the rocky, like, water area for, like, hours until nightfall, and now he's coming back. Um, in the novel, so, the, in the film, this scene uh, just goes straight into the action. But in the novel, there's a little bit of an extra moment where Kamiki actually gets to go inside and have dinner with, um, you know, all the mechanics, and he realizes that they all actually, like, his secret's safe with them. Um, they all hmm. respect his decision. And they and there's also a bit of exposition on you know, the fi- the deep sea fish and them being their relation to a local legend. Well, real quick, I see I'm kinda happy they cut that because that would have thrown Tachibana's character kind of off kilter. Because in the movie, Tachibana like blames him for not upholding his duty. I mean, it's for me, it's less that Tachibana blames him for his duty and more that Tachibana blames him for the for the upcoming death of all the mechanics. Right, but even then, like because it's Sakura Ando's character, um, Sumiko, who blames him for not um, upholding his duty, but. Tachibana also has a, a line later in the film that says you're finally ready in reference to being a kamikaze pilot. I mean, I feel like that was more a callback to him just freezing up when he was 
later in the sequence that's coming. Maybe, maybe. But either way, I, I feel like there was a assumption that the audience could make that Tachibana wasn't entirely okay with that decision. I, I can see how you'd read that with his performance. I, I can, yes. Like, yeah, I, I can see where you'd get that idea. Um, later on, obviously, either way, either way, I think it still works no matter what. <laughs> Maybe. Um, but if there's one thing I'd say that is a little better with this extra scene, is that I feel like the exposition of the local legend is a bit less clunky here. <laughs> yeah, because so Kamiki's character walks out, and then sirens go off, right? Yeah. Which little weird like where like i i this is both something i like and something i don't like they don't establish what odo island really is it looks just like a abandoned tropical island um but there's sirens and it's established there's locals and there's legends so it's like what kind of civilization is here like this isn't the odo island that was in 54 Right, because the Odo Island in '54 was more. Uh, I mean, we only see the military base. We do, but like th- the fact that the sirens go off, kind of. I don't know. It there's a mystery to Odo Island, so it, there's just a lot of questions that I have for that mystery that just don't get solved, which is fine. I I, I don't I don't have an issue with that. Um, but there is a lot you could explore with that. But again, I'm not complaining because it is kind of nice to not have the same old like, here's the origins of Godzilla because we have that. Right. We've, we've had that over and over and over and over again. And here we are getting a Godzilla where we don't get that entirely. This is not an origin story. This is what will happen. What do you do? Right. But yeah, now during this, during the sirens, everyone panics, everyone's grabbing their guns, and there is a loud roar following this roar. Some of our car- a one of the random mechanics just starts talking about it must be Godzilla, it's a local legend. Which, like you said, is a little clunky, because it's, I mean, they just kind of roll with it. Yeah, it, it's not terrible, it, it just feels, it's a tad jar. <laughs> yeah. Um nothing, I will too, nothing say, too bad, just Tajari. I thought right. it was a bit more natural in the in the dinner scene that's in the novel. And see, for me it's one of those things where it's like it works, right? Like it, it doesn't not work. It's, it it it's does fine. its job. Um but one thing I love about the like the original fifty four Odo Island stuff is you don't get told a lot, but what you are told is Godzilla's a legend, and they really give him more of a godlike feeling. Like, instead of just this, like, crypto, like, legend that they kind of play it off as in, in Minus One, they go full in, like, this is a god, this is deity, right? Like we sacrificed women to Godzilla so that it wouldn't kill us. That's straight out of like some sort of mythology. Right. Um, Very King Kong-esque as well. Yeah. Um, when I hear that, I immediately think of the Kraken from Clash of the Titans, but I'm, I'm sure it's, it's, you know, from a, plenty of other things as well. 
Um, so like, I like that, but I don't like, you know, again, it works like they're, they're just cutting straight to the chase. Um, yeah, but I, I no, yeah. yeah. Speaking of cutting straight to the chase. Yeah. Godzilla shows up very quick. Yeah. Tachibana calls for Taki to turn on a light. They shine light and Godzilla appears with a a bit of a jump scare. (laughs) But he's also different. Yeah. He's a bit more, he's a bit small and he's a bit uh, dinosaur-like. Yeah. And he has (laughs) different roars. That's, That's not just the 54 roar. Right, he has the 54 roar and then just stock dinosaur roars. (laughs) So this has been something you and I have known about for a while as well. Mm -hmm. We've called it Proto-Godzilla, but it's more akin to Godzilla-saurus, but in like the novel, it's written as Gojira in Hiragana. No, 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 no. That, that's a bit inaccurate. Um, in the novel and in merchandise, it's written as Gojira instead of as it would typically be written and is written later in Katakana. That's what Godzilla is typically, his name is typically written in. Um, this is a combination of free kanji. Oh, it's kanji. Yes, yes. Okay. You know, it's kind of interesting that it's, uh, uh, kanji because you know hiragana is like your traditional like this is Japanese terms and whatnot and then you've got katakana which is usually used for foreign words and then kanji is more of like symbols and meanings to kind of contextualize what you're talking about um, so what what do the the kanji characters mean I don't think there's really any signif I don't think there's any significance to the kanji used. I think it's just it's just the kanji that when put together would make the would have a pronunciation of Gojira. Okay, gotcha. Interesting. See, I, I, I think it's really interesting that they didn't just name it Godzillasaurus. Like they've already got that trademark. Mm, yeah. I mean it's it to be fair, it is the locals call it Gorgida or Godzilla, so you know. <laughs> right. Fair enough for the movie to just for them to just call it that. Would be nice to get a, another name for the film though. Yeah, I would agree. Um and this whole scene's kinda very much like Godzilla versus King Adora's Godzilla Saurus scene, yeah. but yeah. with a little bit more it's a little more polished. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But uh, that, that was the Heisei era, to be fair. This is true. <laughs> that was post-Violante Heisei. But no, like, saying that, like, the effects on this look great. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, definitely. Um, and this scene is, you know, one thing, this is a very horror-esque sequence. And, yeah, I was, on my fourth viewing, I took, I saw it with a few friends on my fourth viewing, and, I specifically sat next to one person who I thought she would, I would wanted to see if she would react to the scares <laughs> and she very much react. She very much <laughs> jumped when Godzillasaurus first appeared. Well, so the way they kind of frame it, it kind of reminds me of like Jurassic Park with the T-Rex. It is sort of similar. Yeah. 
I mean, it helps that Godzilla is very, in this film, he's very T-Rex-like. Right, right. And so our, the garrison of mechanics and Kamiki's character run to a little uh, camouflage area to hide as Godzilla just destroys the camp. And this is where Tachibana suggests to Kamiki, you're the only gunner here. Go, go to your fighter, see if you can shoot that thing. And Kamiki's like, well, I don't think it's going to work. But Tachibana says, it's a 30 millimeter gun. I can kill anything. Which, had he done that, I think nothing would have happened. Yeah, especially, it's not established in the film, but in the novel, it's basically confirmed that later on, Godzilla has a healing ability in the film. Novel basically suggests that he had that as Godzillasaurus. So this literally would have been uh, Shikishima throwing his life, al- life away. Hmm. Interesting. But Kamiki does go over there, and he, he shakes, he stalls up in fear. And one of the mechanics stupidly like just fires his weapon. And that sets Godzilla off, and Godzilla starts towards the little trench, and everybody has to get out. And this is the most violent sequence in any Godzilla movie when it comes to the human characters with the kaiju. (laughs) Like, oh my god. It's helped by how just small, like, since he's in his Godzilla-saurus form, he's only... Like, he's only about 15 meters tall, I believe. And so, Roughly, like, you, yeah. really, you really get to, like, see him, like, up and personal, like, not just dealing with crowds. He's dealing with these people as individuals, you know? Right. You know, because they all get out of the trench. Um, some of them injured. Tachibana's yeah, one of them. Tachibana's leg gets uh, broken or something. And then he walks with a limp for the rest of the movie. And so they're all trying to fight Godzillasaurus, and Godzillasaurus is like literally using his mouth and grabbing them and tossing them. Right, stepping Um, on a couple of the others. And smashing some with their tail, very much like Godzillasaurus did in Godzilla vs. King Ghidorah with the American troops. Tachibana survives, and Kamiki's character survives, but as Kamiki's running away... Godzillasaurus grabs his fighter plane and tosses it, which it's still armed, so there's weapons, and it blows up. It tosses Kamiki's character, and this kind of reminded me of the, uh, of Joe Brody, uh, uh, of Ford Brody from 2014, a little bit with how, you know, he passes out and then wakes up the, you know, to keep the story going, um, I kind of got those well, vibes here a little bit. I, I didn't. I didn't really, but I, I I can see that a little. Um, and honestly, throughout this film, I kind of feel like at certain points, Kamiki's character is kind of like Ford Brody. Um, see, I'm I'm not reminded of Ford. I'm reminded of Miyabe from Eternal Zero. I mean, it, it probably is that. Um. But there definitely is a little bit of 2014 influence in here. Not a lot, just a little bit. Mm, I guess so. So Kamiki wakes up the next day to find that 
everybody who's died is now lined up um, to be buried mm-hmm. by Tachibana, who is dragging over, I'm going to guess, the last remaining body. Yeah. Which, in this sequence, I love the camera work. Um, I only noticed this, like, in my most recent viewing. The way it's shot is Tachibana is on the screen left rule of thirds line. And it's following him, and it keeps the dead bodies in the frame at all times. Not all of them, but those are kept in the frame. And then it cuts to Kamiki's perspective, and he's on the right rule of thirds line. And the bodies are still there, but also kind of not. They're not as clearly there as they were in Tachibana's. point of view perspective however you want to call it and then it cuts to a behind back shot of tachibana's character as he's reached the same point uh same line as kamiki initially and it cuts to a back shot where now tachibana is the one in the foreground or the one closest to the camera and all the bodies are once again in the scene and you can see it very clearly um, and I, I, I like that. I like that rule of thirds and how the camera was tracking and following our characters in a way. It kind of shows that like Tachibana is all about the fact that all of his, all of his men have died. He was the leader. So it's technically on him. If you want to go that far and you know, <laughs> Kamiki's over here. Like <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, Tachibana kind of forces Kamiki into that position with what we get in the next scene. Um, But no, like, Tachibana is just crestfallen from this event and definitely blames Kamiki's character for all of it. Yeah. Um, Speaking of which, the next scene jumps to a boat in the water. And I love, I love the, like... The way the can it's a fixed camera angle. Mm-hmm. I think it might pan up. I think. Um, I don't think it does. Maybe subtly. I'm not sure. Subtly, yeah. And it's it's this boat that's carrying all of the probably Pacific Island Japanese uh, men who were stationed on those islands following the end of World War II. Um, but the boat is perfectly in center with the waves on the screen left and screen right of it. And I love that shot, like the visual symmetry there. It's so beautiful. And all of the military men are like in brown clothing. And the sea is like this royal blue green. That's so beautiful. I love that. I I love that sequence. Oh, yeah. Lots of gorgeous shots like that (laughs) throughout this entire film. Um, but yeah, during this scene, we see Shikishima, who is approached by a now limping Tachibana, who hands him a, uh, little item that we don't see a- until a bit later, but essentially it's a, it's photos of the mechanics and all their families. And once Kamiki sees what it is, he like freaks out, but he like He's quickly horrified. like conceals it. Like, I mean, it's it's establishes he's haunted by that. 
Like, that horrifies him. Right. And from here we cut to Tokyo, is it, is it May? December. December? December, December of... of uh, 45. 45 in Tokyo, where it is absolutely trashed. Yep. And honestly, being at ground, essentially ground zero is kind of scary. Like, you get to see, like, up front and personal, like, what happened to the japanese citizens and it's right it's depressing right and the music is really eerie in this scene as well Mm -hmm. honestly throughout the entire first act and particularly it's really really eerie throughout the entire first act but when godzilla anytime godzilla shows up prior to the ginza sequence the music really it's very evocative of in a way, kind of similar to 54's, like, sound design would be, um, you know, Godzilla's first steps being, like, a bomb being dropped. The the music in Godzilla scenes is like an air raid siren. Yeah. And I yeah. love that. No, that, uh, that is one of my favorite details that I kind of noticed it on my second watch, but I really was like, that's what it is on my third watch. And I love that detail. I love that. The track, Absolute let me... Horror. Completely. Let me pull up the track. Uh, the, um, it's in the track Fear, which is when Confusion um, Godzilla Saurus shows up, and then yeah, Confusion as well, which is in the boat scene, if I remember right. Yeah. Okay, so I'll, I'll talk about Confusion a little later then, because that one I, I have some thoughts. No, see, a lot of Sato's original music here in the beginning is more of a, it's it's set a mood it's like atmospheric it's 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 very different to what i expected the score to be but in a very fitting and very good way and what i do like is sato does differentiate during certain points more so than what uh shiro segesu did i say his name right composer shingatsu segesu segesu yeah okay so like his score doesn't really match throughout for me i I have a lot of problems i disagree i I I, disagree i think like his his score also has a a wide variety of genres and and how it is shown off but it doesn't work as well as i think sato's score does um sato's score is a little more in line with everything being everything going on and then the ifakube track spoiler alert um <laughs> do stand out but i'm fine with that because it's ifakube you you can't there is no way now to make a godzilla movie where the ifakube tracks don't stand out unless you're just doing straight up all ifakube and at that point what's like a, you don't need a composer, and B, why would you not get a composer? Because Godzilla's like one of his biggest things is having <clears throat> very intellectually smart composers who are doing God's work with with the scores. <laughs> unless you're named Adam Wingard and you're throwing on a dude that just sits in his room and just hits buttons. And thinks he makes music. <laughs> I mean, the thing with the the thing with the Ifakube themes is they're used very sparingly, and they're and used they, amazingly they're used at the appropriate moments. And something that they do that 
Shin Godzilla didn't do was re-record them and make them yes. like fit very exciting and work. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, oh, oh. But we'll we'll talk about the little later. Um <laughs> Because we're introduced to your favorite actress in this film. Mm, Sakura Ando. <laughs> yeah, yeah. She plays Sumiko Ota, whom is the whom is Shikishima's neighbor. She spots him when he returns to his now destroyed home. Both are in Shikishima is in despair, not knowing where his parents are. And Sakura Ando's like, What? I thought you were kamikaze pilot and then quickly she realizes that he he didn't he abandoned his duty and you know calls him a disgrace blaming him for the death of her three children during the air raids of tokyo and And she also informs shikishima that his parents have died in the air raids and that's something like they really like destroy Shikishima in this film. Yes. Oh yeah. <laughs> and that's on like I love that. Like this the character writing for Shikishima and Kamiki's acting. <sighs> oh yeah. Oh, it's so good. Um because now not only is Shikishima dealing with the fear of Godzilla, but he's also dealing with the deaths of a dozen men. Now which he blames himself for. Which he blames himself for. The death of his neighbor's three children, which she's clearly close to Sakura Ando's character because like she's like really important. Um and now in a way he's probably handling it that part partly why his parents died is because of him and the loss of the war. Right? So and and partially why Shukushima survived is his mother wrote him a letter saying, come back alive. So he, he did, he stayed alive to be with his parents. In a cruel twist of fate, his parents died anyways. Right. And in a way it's like, you know, if I was in that situation, you know, depression would kick in and I would say, why am I even here? Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, he's suffering from his own mental issues following this, as we see a bit later. Right. And and Sakura Ando just just rips into him and makes him feel awful. <laughs> yeah, um, she's good at thing, doing that. <laughs> one thing I thought that she's was love exposure. <laughs> I should. One thing I thought was really interesting about all of this is they are literally just living in debris. Yeah, like. The, like there's no refugee homes there's no tents they're all they just nothing. like they're literally grabbing debris and just building what they can yeah which is what kamiki does where um or shikishima does because you know he ends up building out of what materials he can find he builds a makeshift hut uh right on his what was his house right and that's such a like being able to be on ground zero and see what the human like this film the way they do the human characters is so like you get to see everything right and like godzilla is small enough that you get to see the personalized what is happening around godzilla as he's moving and you know i I brought that up in the trailer breakdowns we've done 
But watching people literally get trampled by him is so horrifying. Right. And he's not so big that it just feels like it 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 feels ground more grounded with him being only fifty meters in this movie. Right. Rather than like the one hundred plus meters of you know more recent films. Right. And, you know, being able to see how they're living. And we, we get to follow that as they continue to develop and rebuild. Like, normally with rebuilding, you know, the monster destroys the city. We might get a little bit of the reconstruction process. And, like, a but, brief montage, yeah. Yeah, but they're, they, like, they skip over that. But here, that is what we're living in. And it's it is a constant reminder of the war. Like nobody is letting go of the war. Um, which echoes the line from Shin Godzilla post war lasts forever, which is such a deep and like important line in Shin Godzilla that summarizes the entire franchise. And here we see why. Like we see our characters go from war to post war. And they never get away from that. In a way, it's kind of like, and and this is because I I, I can only relate it to stuff I've I've dealt with. <laughs> COVID, like the COVID thing, will never go away. Now, well, it's interesting that you bring that up, actually, because not this scene, but there are scenes later in the film because this film's production or pre-production was halted by covid Mm -hmm. there were revisions to the script that were deaf that were very much influenced by covid there's some lines that it took influence from that i want you to tell like i I don't know this so please when we hit those points like i'll I'll mention it when we're introduced to when we get to a certain but no i I, like i feel like Post like COVID nineteen will last forever. Masks are forever a thing now in society. Um, the COVID vaccine, like people, you know, theorize that that will be a yearly thing. That is going to be a yearly thing. It'll just be like the influenza. Oh, it'll definitely be like yeah. You get like yeah. You know, school kids always get vaccines in schools. That that I'm sure that'll be like commonplace in schools and in the future. Mm-hmm. Just like um, um, all the other ones that they that right. they give you, absolutely. So, like to me, that's that's kind of what I'm, what I like relate to it, what I think of because, like that's that that will forever be a thing. Like Zoom yeah, no, calls, like not. remote working, will forever be something in society now. Like, and when we will talk about remote working and remote learning. It will go back to COVID. Like our right. society and no has, one, and no one who lived through that is going to forget it either. Right. You know? um, now, I'm not saying COVID is the same as World War II. Like God, that's no. that's not what I'm saying here. But in for us, our generation, like that is a similar thing. That like COVID will forever be something impacting our culture and our pop culture. Um. In 10 years from now, I guarantee you, you see a huge influx of COVID-inspired filmmaking from filmmakers that grew up in COVID-19. I mean, we've already seen some films like that, like Host, Hell, Yuzo for Kaiju. Mm-hmm. 
So I'm sh- I, I don't doubt we'll see more. I, I, I fully believe we will. And in a way, this is kind of one of those films in, in, a, in a certain sense. Right. And so some time passes. Now, this is where I'm going to establish my biggest issue with this film. And I'm sure you already know what I'm about to say. <laughs> because I've said it in like five episodes already. Yamazaki cannot clarify time jumps very well. Now, there's certain points in this film where they're decent. (laughs) But I cannot tell for the life of me. (laughs) Some of the time jumps here just don't make sense. And they're not established. And you kind of have to figure it out. Um, There are title cards. Hey, he trusts his audience. He does. And it doesn't work. Um, I mean, I, f- I feel it does. Like this, this next scene, for example. So we cut to in the novel. It's confirmed that this is about three days later. It like that's not stated in the film, but you can infer it's either like the next day or like a little bit of time has passed. Like you, can I just in- assumed a little bit of time, but I don't know how long. Right, but it, the, the how long doesn't really matter. But I still want to know what I'm looking at timeline-wise. Sure, but it doesn't... Not knowing doesn't really affect the film itself? Not really until later on when they're just kind of jumping, jumping, jumping. <laughs> now, like I said, like now there's established title cards, and it there is at one point a character does say that there's a 10-day time... And later on, they establish like like hours and whatnot. But there is still a few moments in this film that jump and they don't clarify. And it's like, okay, how long? Like, is this a couple months? Is this a couple days? Like, what? A couple weeks? Um, mostly after our two main characters intertwine. Jumping from then until the Ginza sequence is sometimes a little difficult to Honestly, I think I think the way the film handles it is fine. Like like it's It's fine, but it doesn't it's it it still hits the Yamazaki problem for me. Like you don't really need to know exactly when like I feel it it's a little bit of an issue in Parasite when like it you know, it's been like months, uh, however long since um, Certain Shinichi events. had first met Migi, and like that relationship is important, and like it's not really clear that it had been a couple months. So that I feel like that film could have used maybe a little bit clearer, it being a little bit clearer there. But here, it's like we get a good, a fair idea of the time span. The rough time span between events, because this film takes place for the over most about part. a two-year period. I'd say for the most part it does, but there are certain moments where it does not. Or probably like two and a half year period. Sorry. Yeah, but we do get a sequence where we see Kamiki's character going back into normal life. I mean, he's just trying to get some food from the black markets. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, but at the, like it's it's kind of clarified like that's the only way they can eat. Yeah, yeah. 
And while he's eating, suddenly this woman who's being shouted, like people behind her shouting and calling her a thief, runs up. He like gets in the way. She gives her, she gives him a child and runs off. Mm-hmm. <laughs> now I will say this beginning in this beginning interactions a little wonky. Like I mean, as it continues, it it, it it's not an issue, but it is a little like what. What just happened? Um, it's fine. <laughs> she gives, I, I, don't, I don't have the issue here. She gives Kamiki the child. She runs off. Kamiki just is like, I don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> A few hours go by. He's still there. Eventually, he tries to abandon the child. Cannot. Walks away with the child. She appears. Now, I will yeah. say the whole thief thing kind of reminded me of uh, Anne's introduction in King Kong. You know, with the whole, like, accused to be a thief and Carl Denham saves the day and whatnot. I mean, I'm not saying that's an exact reference, but it it did remind me of that a little bit. I'm going to be honest, I don't remember the original King Kong enough. <laughs> I mean, it's in the 2005 film, too. I haven't seen that in a decade, man. <laughs> well, now you're just a fake fan. Hey, I never, I never said I was the biggest fan of King Kong. There's only two this good King Kong movies, and they were made by Toho. This is true. Not really. Not that part, but okay. So <laughs> I do need I do need a little bit of clarification. Okay, when Kamiki's walking away and she pops out, she says Onisan. Yeah, it's, she's just she's just referring to that's kind of just like a to it can be used for like brother. That's what it's typically. Okay, used for, so I'm not it, crazy, but it can also just be used for like a guy you've never met. It can. So I'm not crazy because in in the theater when I was sitting there for the first time, I was like. Nissan brother or do they do they know each other and you could I mean the way they interact initially is a little like they know each other and I was like are they brother and sister and then like later on <laughs> he's like asking um be very who are you relationship later on <laughs> it, it'd be weird but then like he's like asking who she is what her name is I'm like so they're not related, but she called him Onisan now. And then I was like, is she just calling her him brother? Because like, I mean, sometimes people do that. They're like, hey, sis, hey, brother, hey, bro. Yeah. You know, yeah, Hulk sometimes Onisan is just use, I guess, in in uh, Japanese. Yeah, because, you know, it's, like it's not terribly uncommon. It's like hearing Oji-san as well. Because, like, Oji-san can mean uncle, but it can also just mean, hey, mister. Like, it can right. just refer to a mister that you've never met before. I kind of thought maybe it's like when Hulk Hogan's like, it's the wall, brother. Brother, I'm telling you, don't do drugs, brother. Okay, then. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So, thank you. I'm not crazy. But after that, you, you might think I am. But I digress. Um you are. Now I love <laughs> I love the following events. She just follows him and he's like, please don't follow me. Like, don't. <laughs> and she just continues. Like he, he doesn't stop her. Now, love at first sight? It's purely because of his answer to the question she asked where she's like, Why didn't you leave the baby? And he's like, In that place? And she's like, Ooh, interesting. <laughs> And see, I love the relationship because, like, it would be forbidden for them to do anything, so they don't do anything. At least that's what I thought was implied. Like, they didn't do anything. 
And there's a couple reasons for that, but it also creates this tension that's kind of nice. And I'll, I'll talk about that as we continue, but I, I love the tension between the two. There's really good chemistry and really good tension throughout mm-hmm. the film. Um, <laughs> I mean, they would go on to star in a morning drama together, so you'd hope they'd have good chemistry. Right. <laughs> um, so she follows Kamiki back to his house, which is now built out of rubble. Like, he now has a house that, I mean, is it, I don't know. Maybe it's not a house. Maybe it's a hut. I, I call it a hut. Yeah. Yeah, okay. We're on the same. Hut, shack, same difference. Yeah. It's not really it's a, a house bunch... until a bit later. Yeah. So there, he's giving her food, and she's clarifying she's not married. Kamiki's like, oh, my God, like, who are you? Like, you're not married? Who's the kid? Then he finds out the kid's not hers, and, you know, they they continue on their way and continue learning about each other, about Kamiki's parents and right. whatnot. For clarification, um, the kid... She saved the child whose name's Akiko from written in katakana. Yeah, but in the novel it's written the name's written kanji. Really? See, yeah. when I saw the katakana, I was like, huh. Normally yeah. names are written in kanji. That's that's kind of interesting. Yeah. I, I there might be a reason why I, I don't know. <laughs> I, I don't know. I just know that I, I thought that was interesting. I, I definitely took note of that as well <laughs> when I saw that. The joys um, of studying Japanese. <laughs> but yeah, no. Um, Akiko's parents died in the air raid and her mother desperately gave the baby to, Nori- to Noriko and told her to save the child, essentially. And so they kind of relayed on the whole like lost family thing. I mean, essentially... Right. They're, they've all, all lost these, their parents. All three of these people have lost their parents in the air raids. So that's kind of how they're connected and they're drawn together. But what's funny is... Which so also makes it more interesting how the how the air raid sirens and the music <laughs> with Godzilla's appearances as well. Right. And what's so interesting is they don't... I mean, they absolutely talk about Hiroshima and Nagasaki... But they mostly linger on the air raids because the air raids caused more death and destruction than the bombings did. I mean, they were also in Tokyo where the air raids happened. Right, right. But I I, I think that's kind of interesting. Like, we hear so much about Hiroshima and Nagasaki, but this film only mildly talks about them. Um, But I, I love when they do, which we will... Uh, right. We, we, we will... I'm, I'm not going to not talk about that. Like, that's... <laughs> like... I my jaw hit the floor. <laughs> um but we'll talk about that a little later. Um I did think it was funny how quickly Noriko fell asleep. Like he looks away for 20 seconds and he looks back and they're already asleep. It's like no, okay. that's a very relatable moment, I'm going to be honest. <laughs> I not for me. For me it's like you got to oh. give me 30 minutes to sleep. No, 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 not for me. Not for me. I just bro, I was at a party <laughs> the other week. And I swear, I'd look away for five seconds. Bro was hammered. He'd just be on the, he'd be face first on the grass. And I'm like, how did this happen? (laughs) I've been here for five minutes. (laughs) It's a very relatable situation. (laughs) Now, after this, we get Kamiki's character 
going out to look for work when yes. Sakura Ando's character stops him is like who's the woman who's the child like prying because I mean at the I mean I think it's so kind of taboo today the idea of a man living with a woman they are not married is taboo and a woman not being married and having a child's taboo I mean she's more just mad at him she's more just like oh you're playing hero now you're helping these innocent people but you couldn't you didn't you didn't honor your country what the hell my children died like she's more mad about that than necessarily a taboo aspect to the relationship but I definitely think there's some judgment. I mean, there's judgment throughout the know. film with that. Um, no, Sakura Ando's character in this opening is like really. <laughs> she's really mean. <laughs> she guilt trips. Like she's the woman that's like, fine, I guess I'll do this myself and hurt myself in the process. And it's like, don't say right. that. Like you like. Right. But I, she did. She did lose her children. So. <laughs> I mean, this is true. All three of them in the air raid, so, you know. But, no, throughout this, the next few minutes here, we get a lot of shots of destroyed Tokyo. And I just, I love it. It's so good. It's so good. The set design is amazing. Oh, yeah. No, the soundstage, like, it's it's a very detailed set, and the CG, like, elements because a lot of the background was green screened for these shots and it's been filled in with cg and the cg is like practically invisible Mm -hmm. in a way in a way similar to how like in 54 there's a lot of matte paintings on odo Odo island that like completely invisible you right if you if you don't know where they are you're you're not going to notice at all See, that kind of reminds me of in Parasite, because in Parasite, the 2019 uh, Bong Joon-ho film. Oh, like, right, right, right. The, the CGI is like invisible throughout. Yeah, most so like of the house film. as well, like the mm-hmm. whole top half of the house is CG. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, there's a lot like like it's not the CG is not like necessarily the best Hollywood, like top level VFX. It's not but Planet it's really, of the Apes. No, but it's not far off. Either, you know? <laughs> I'm be honest. 90% of the CGI in this film I cannot see. Yeah, no. There's a lot that is just outright invisible. <laughs> we, uh, before we, we started recording, we will watch the behind-the-scenes feature that's on YouTube right now. Mm. And genuinely, like, you had to stop it and go back because I was like, hold on, those people were CG? Yeah, no, I, I was surprised when I first saw it as well. And I'm like, wait, those people are CGI? What? <laughs> like, I'm not surprised that some were CGI, but there's a lot that, like, you know, you'd look at them and be like, those look like real people. And, like, all the CGI has its own, like, all the models have their own animation. They don't recycle animated like cycles. I like genuinely like the amount of detail they put into this film blows me away. This film is breathtaking to look at from beginning to end. And it even has that lighting that you were very much (laughs) looking forward to. (laughs) No, what's funny is like when we did parasite part two, 
and I was like, oh, that lighting, because the final fight of that movie is beautiful. I love that final fight. Mm. That's what this entire movie is. Like, the lighting is, it's not artificial, it's natural, and it glows. Right. The lighting glows. It's so beautiful. And the way they light up the faces, half and half lit and whatnot, I just love it. I love <laughs> the color in this film. Oh, it's yeah. both really dull and really popish. Like it pops out or it's really dull. I love it. It's it's that's amazing. Yeah, no, this film has a beautiful look to it. But yeah, after after a guilt tripping Shikishima a bit, Sumi. When he's going to leave, Sumiko stops him and asks, "Can the girl break baby? <laughs> Can the girl breastfeed?" No, she can't because Noriko's not the mother, and she's a bit young for it. So Sumiko ends up helping them out a bit, gives them food, and yeah, and guilts trip them for giving for her giving them her rice. There goes my precious rice, and then we get. After that, I believe we get we we jump a little bit of time. This is one of those moments where it's like, oh, how much time? Or yeah, no, they don't have a timestamp for no, this there's one. A, there's a timestamp. Is, yeah. is there? Yeah. Because this is when he gets a job, right? Right. Yes. Yeah. He. Yeah. Yeah. He, yeah, it's yeah. There's a timestamp. There's a timestamp. Okay. Stamp. Okay. It's. I want to say this is when we go to forty six. Yeah, like early forty six. Yeah, I want. I don't think it's March. I I can't remember. April exactly. is it April? It's either March or it's somewhere in the middle of the year. I don't quite remember. Yeah. Um, but we get a glimpse at the development of Noriko and Kamiki, which I love. Right. I mean, the house that the hut has grown a little bit. Still not great. It's a bit more of a shack rather than a small hut, and you know their clothes are a bit. Uh, they're nicer a bit nicer yeah yeah and I, that's something i love is this the costume design in this film is also really really good oh, yeah. like i don't yeah. i don't usually like stop to point out the costume design but the way we see the development of kamiki and noriko's i don't know why i'm saying noriko and kamiki because one's a <laughs> character one's an actor <laughs> hamabe and kamiki's characters we watch them go from these tattered and torn like cloth to gra- like it gradually gets better. Like then they get dirty, like nice clothing and then they get nice basic clothing and then they get like nice clothes. I love that. I love cause we, we get to watch them from go from zero to like plus one. Like we, we see them <laughs> develop and then like, on a on a materialistic level, right? We see them grow, but Yamazaki makes it a point to clarify: just because the material things are there, your life isn't better. Because even with that development and that growth, physically and and financially, that doesn't make them happy. It's what is going on in their heads, mentally and emotionally. That's what m- brings people up. And I love that. I think that's something, especially in the world we live in now, that's something to think about. You know, not everything's what you have physically. It's 
It's what's going on mentally. And this film does a great job covering mental health and the impacts of war and what Godzilla could do to somebody. Yeah. In this scene, Shikishima Kamiki comes back to the house and he's gotten a new job, even having a 3,000 yen advanced pay, which at that time would have been, you know, that's not much now, but at that time that would have been pretty good money all things considered. Yeah. Especially in post-war Japan, actually. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Any money's good. (laughs) And we get to see the first, like, official connection bond that uh, Hamabe and Kamiki's characters have. Um, Because she gets concerned because the job is considered risky. Yeah. But Kamiki says that he has to make the money for her and the child. Plus, it's it's not... It's not that bad of a job. Like we've got a special, we've got a special made ship to keep us safe. <laughs> Which the leads the, to a very fun edit. Yeah. It's, so we cut to Kamiki reacting to this specialized boat, and I wanted to say here, the subtle comedy is great because that's what this film does. It has subtle comedy. Right. Um, right. Yeah. Most of it's from the captain of the boat, but it's not like Marvel comedy where it's like, ha ha, please laugh at our obvious yeah. joke. Yeah, no, it's, it, it's a natural banter that fits in line with the characters and the situation. It never feels like it's put in there just to force because, you know, we need to get our joke quota in the movie. Right, which is good because, I mean, we live in a in a version of cinema history where it's Quips almost are very like commonplace and yes. kind of expected right you, like big blockbusters are kind of expected to be funny right it's 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 that whole star wars thing because that's where you can track this back to is star wars was very quippy mm-hmm. um but minus one does not minus one i mean when it does have the comedic aspects it's very it's it's spoken and they move on like boom okay it's very natural very natural and a lot of it's more the irony like the dramatic irony or the situational irony and not so much the oh this is a obvious joke mm-hmm. um and my then it's favorite also just it's just the characters themselves right my the favorite each of each other my favorite joke in air quotes I think in this film would be um, when Captain Akitsu. Uh, well, his nickname's Captain. Yeah. <laughs> um, when he says, "Let's like, let's do this. Let's, you know, get let's stall for time for Godzilla to fight. Uh, you know, get killed by the uh, destroyer." Uh, Doctor Noda says. Don't you hate following the orders of the government? With a passion. (laughs) With a passion. But somebody's got to do it. Mm -hmm. And then doesn't he say, well, maybe not? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. When Godzilla (laughs) shows up, destroys the Kaishin Maru, which is basically the exact same ship as theirs. In like a literal second, he's like, (laughs) maybe not. (laughs) Let's run. (laughs) I love that. 
<laughs> yeah, no, that's a great I love one. that. And all of the characters have time to shine, but we're not to that scene yet. So we're let's 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 But again, push. that's just to, before we move on, that fits with his character and the scene. It doesn't it this the movie doesn't stop to linger on that so you can so the audience has time to laugh. Right. The tension is keeps there in that scene. And and a lot of that comes from the acting as well because you can feel the tension just based off of the reactions, not the verbal reactions, but the physical reactions, what oh, their yeah. face says, what their body language is, right. the music. With the shots that cut to like Yuki Mata, who's absolutely terrified in that scene. Mm-hmm. But we're getting a little ahead of ourselves. <laughs> um, but this is where we are going back to the, the boat joke. This is also where we're introduced to our supporting cast which i love this supporting cast this might be my favorite supporting cast for a godzilla film this is just one of the best casts for the series in general i'm gonna be honest here (laughs) (laughs) this is one of the best like everyone has a distinct personality like you can tell who each character is like at an instant the moment you see them and like there's not too many of them. You could, there's just the right amount of characters for this story. Mm-hmm. And everybody, like I said earlier, everybody has their time to shine. Some more so than others. Everybody delivers a good performance. Everybody, like everybody on this, I feel like is worthy of like a supporting cast award or a leading award. Especially the captain. Um, oh yeah, Captain <laughs> and Doctor Noda. Yeah. Um, yeah. One hundred percent. So we're introduced to our main characters. Um, Dr. Noda was a uh, Imperial Navy weapons developer scientist during World War II. Um, Captain was a naval officer. And Kid is some... He he never fought in the war. He wants to fight in the war, which creates... That's... I love that. That dynamic. It's like... You've got these war veterans. You've and got then you've the, just got this kid <laughs> who, like, once like he feels because he hasn't fought he, in the he's war. He's that doesn't... military. He's that military kid who's got that like idealistic view of you know the military and war, and it's and, it's really interesting seeing him in contrast to everyone else, particularly with um, Kamiki's character. character. Mm-hmm. And I'm glad that Yamazaki definitely played with that (laughs) dynamic. Yeah. Um, Because following this, don't we, we we cut to like the introduction of these. They teach, they they give him the job training. (laughs) Right. And so we we kind of. They're collecting mines, essentially. Yes. um, That were laid by the Imperial Army as well as. the Americans. It's a cleanup job. Right. The risk and being the mines could explode potentially and kill you. And so that's what they're doing. We learn that Kamiki's good with the gun. Um and during the whole teaching sequence where Captain's teaching Kamiki and Kamiki shows him up and is like, Well, I already know how to do this, but thank you. Um following that, kid 
says because kid feels like because he didn't have wartime, he's inferior. You should say the kid instead of just kid. It sounds weird when you just say call him kid. <laughs> well, that's what they, they say, kid. Um, but the kid, you know, he he feels like he's viewed as inferior because of that. Right. And you know, they they have a little back and forth when they find out Kamiki didn't have any real wartime experience. He's like, well, you know, we're the same, except Kamiki knows how to fly a plane, Um, which is another subtle joke that's funny. Um, And then the kid says, I wish the war continued so I could have been in it. And this completely sets Kamiki off. And I love that because like, I mean, you like it. During World War II, anybody who fought in the war was viewed as heroes and noble and, like, you're fighting for your country and, like, you're so high. Right, that romanticized ideal. And we get to see the reality versus the ideology. And that's such a cool concept. That's such a cool concept. You have people who bear the scores of, bear the scars of wartime experience and you have the people that bear the excitement of wartime Mm -hmm. and seeing the two clash is such a great thing because one's a realistic like this is how it is and one is a fantasy right it's where realism meets fantasy fantasy that people have yeah because yeah that's i mean that's a very relevant ideology (laughs) like Mm -hmm. i know people who are very much very much like that i I, i'm friends with people who are the military kid essentially well like in america like there's ads on tv to like join the join the army join the navy join the air force join the military your country spends a lot of money on that (laughs) and like it's it's very much this it's very much romanticized like Fighting for your country is an honor, and it's, like, it's noble, and, you know, you should be proud of yourself, which I'm not saying that you shouldn't respect and and honor people who join the military because they are putting their lives on the line. Like, thank you right. for, a lot for of doing that. Do, a lot of people do go in there completely in over their head. Mm-hmm. And that's really why there's training to to beat them into shape or to beat them out of the military because they can't handle that, right? But then there's really nothing that can prepare you for being on the battlefield and experiencing right, right. the war. Um, but it is interesting because you see reality and there's fantasy. But yeah, the kid apologizes and the awkward interaction ends there, and. Yeah, this you know this scene takes us to we are next. The next thing we see is Kamiki waking up in seemingly the night with a fire, presumably a fire or light, mysterious light in the background, and he opens the door to see the mechanics being slaughtered once again by Godzilla, which. I love, love the establishment of PTSD and what that does to people. 
Yeah. And when he wakes up, he's absolutely he's absolutely terrified from this dream. Right. He's he's fidgeting, he's sweating, he's freaking out. Noriko's trying to calm him down. But and he's just I, he's completely losing grip with reality. Like he I mean he's he grabs her and like tries hugging her just so that he can confirm whether or not like he's really here, she's alive, and yeah. Well, doesn't he at one point like say is like that wasn't the dream, that was reality. I'm actually dead. Like I'm just a dead corpse and you are just a ghost in my head. Yeah, he's he's asking that in this scene and another scene a little bit later. Um, like he he he's genuinely completely losing grip, mm-hmm. um, and it's scary. And like, I love, I, I'd love to highlight the camera work as well. Any shot that specifically focuses on Kamiki is at a Dutch angle. Yes, just showing you that, like visually telling you that, like even without the dialogue, he is mentally unwell in this scene. He is suffering right. in this scene. And like it's Noriko's all... shot from like a um just like a standard like normal angle, like pretty straight shot. Like a like medium every... close up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But every shot of Kamiki is kind of an uncomfortable Dutch angle. It's a bit closer up. He's he's solely on like the left side of the frame. Mm-hmm. Um, I noticed that too. Always left side screen. Yeah. No, and it's, it's dark. Like he's yeah. not very well lit. In contrast to no. Noriko. Yeah, and it's just little touches of filmmaking like that that I absolutely love in this film. Mm-hmm. Now, Noriko pushes him off, and he ends up hitting the photos that fall onto the ground. And this is our first time seeing them. Yeah, in a POV shot as well. And it's never established what they are, but like there's but blood on some infer. of them. Yeah. I mean, it is and established a little later. It is clarified later. It's clarified later, but now, like for now, like Yamazaki, and this is what Parasite Part One does: it establishes things, it doesn't explain them, it leaves the audience to figure it out, and then eventually it's explained, and by then, hopefully, you figured it out. Right, right. And if not, here's the answer, which I love. That I love that ideology of like trust the audience. But eventually, which is something Yamazaki always does, and like you can see that from as early as Returner to his more recent films, Ghostbook, and of course, Minus One. Mm-hmm. Now, from here, we cut to another time jump and a location change briefly. <laughs> now, yeah. I was shocked that we got this. I I wasn't expecting them to show a atomic bomb in this film. I mean, you kind of were before. <laughs> I mean, we knew there would be atomic bomb levels of of destruction, but I didn't know they like. So what ended you up speculated. happening? You speculated. You oh, speculated. Oh, that's that right. Thing. I did. I said that. What if one of the bombings? Oh, so I was right. Yeah, I was right. Um, I was off by a month, but I was right. <laughs> um, because we jumped to Bikini Atoll. Where there's an atomic testing yes, with Operation Crossroads. Yes. Um, not Castle Bravo, which is the m- one that most commonly is used. This is a very, this is an earlier one. Right. And but you can't really use Castle Bravo in, <laughs> with the right. same setting. 
<laughs> and what I love is we get the bomb for about seven seconds. We see it going off, and then we cut to a close-up of Godzilla's eye and it being burned, incinerated, and regenerating right. with the roar, and then we cut away, and we're done. Right. Like, that's all he does to explain. Right. It's that's so simple, all but he it, does it gets to the point across. It does. That's all we need. That is all you need. And it, it, I love the, and from here we get a beautiful contrast because, you know, we, what Yamazaki does is he keeps Godzilla in the picture enough to keep him relevant, right? We start off with Godzillasaurus. And just when you think that Godzilla's like the we've moved so far past Godzilla, he does the PTSD dream. And then we get the establishment of the change from Godzillasaurus to Godzilla minus one. And then he becomes relevant again after I believe it's about three sequences. Yeah, no, this is like Godzilla doesn't have a terrible lot of sequences in this film, but they are all spaced. This film, like, like I said, the pacing is brilliant because Godzilla scenes are spaced out so perfectly. And like he has, I'd say this is the perfect amount of Godzilla screen time for this script. It's not I would too agree. little, but it's not too much either. They don't, the film does not overindulge, nor does it underindulge. It is the perfect amount for this story. I agree. Now, I will say, personally, I would like a little bit more Godzilla in my film, but sure, I do but agree that's with you. as a Godzilla fan. I, I right. think this is exactly, this is the amount that this story demands. I agree. I would not necessarily be opposed to like a tad bit more. But at the same time, is it really necessary? No. Not for this film. I, I, I don't think – I think if any – like there's a few edits or a few additions you could make, but that's mostly on the human side. I don't think there's a lot more you could do with the Godzilla stuff. Like it, I agree with you. It's perfectly placed. Now, speaking of perfectly placed, this is about uh, – I want to say 40 minutes into the film. See, we I get – it it must be the 40-minute mark, but I'm not sure. This film is two hours long, and it does not feel like that at all. Okay, so the two-hour mark is when Godzilla officially starts to appear. And then the... You mean hour mark? Yes, the hour mark is when <laughs> Godzilla starts to officially appear, and then the 45 minutes till it's over mark, more like 35, is the beginning of the final operation. Yeah. See, I don't know the exact time between it. I, I'm just guessing the Ginza scene is about 50 minutes to an hour, and that's yes. about my game. That's my marker. <laughs> <laughs> now, I love... So we get a montage of Kamiki and Hamabe and character growing and developing. We see them get better close. I love this. Um, I haven't seen Always Sunset on Third Street, but I got the vibes that this yeah. is like Always Sunset on Third Street. Yeah. And then Akiko's just cute. <laughs> See it growing up. Now, She's now two years old by the time this flashback ends. Kamiki gets a motorbike and a Right. I love that sequence. That's such a like nice. <laughs> there's there's miniatures in the background as well, if you notice, in that, in that moment. Now, this ends on a celebration of a new house. Yes. 
And we have the three supporting characters, plus Kamiki, plus Mabe, and Akiko, all in celebrating. Kind of in a winter time, I think. I think it's December, right? Uh, I don't think I wrote it down. I want to say it's like a December. I think it, it's it's like late 46. It's yeah. like late 46, and then... We cut later on. We cut to March of forty-seven. So I guess right. it would be like now somewhere this between sequence the summer here, to winter time. Yeah, the sequence here in this and like the montage kind of reminded me of Raids Again with the whole Godzilla's destroyed the fishing um, industry building, and then we get kind of a montage of uh, Kobayashi and the actual main character that I can't remember his name. Koizumi's character. Yes, Koizumi's character. I wouldn't working, remember his name either. <laughs> working, like they're working out of another place and they're developing and they're growing and they're, it ends that montage on a celebration with the whole company. Um, right. except oh, yeah, in, yeah, yeah. Except in this yeah, case, yeah. It's, it's a lot smaller, more personal. I love that. Um, and I definitely think this was kind of a nod to Raids Again. This film does feel a little bit like Raids Again, a little bit like 54, a little like 2014, a little like GMK. See, I get 54, GMK, and Eternal Zero. Those are the three the free big influences on this film for me. Those, yeah. The blood of all three of those films is what, is what made Minus One. Um, but... During this sequence, we do get some interesting character development. Um, Captain, you know, makes an, the assumption that uh, Hamabe and Kamiki are married and that Akiko's no, no. their child. No, no, no. Oh, no, no, that's right. That's right. Because he takes um, a photo. Um, which I love. I love the. Okay. I love the photo thing because that is so relevant later on. That's another like little instances yeah, that a little, become a little thing that has a small that plays in a bit later, you know. And that's something Yamazaki did in Parasite. I love stuff like that. There's there's a ton of little touches like this throughout the script, throughout, mm-hmm. and it was really fun, like seeing them all pay off and just seeing that set up on yes, watches. Yes, Noda assumes that Hamabe and Kamiki are married. Mm-hmm. Uh, Hamabe is very quick to say I'm not a wife They're, they look at Kamiki like what like <laughs> taboo taboo who's the kid like what's going on here this is like 2020 America um and then Kamiki you know they're like uh, captain says that it's by fate they have brought you together as a family. Embrace it. After Kamiki explained it, yeah, and then um, and then like Akiko's like calls for him, Tochan, um, father, and and Kamiki responds, Akiko, I'm, I told you, I'm not your father. And the reactions by Noda and the kid are like, that's awful. That's harmful. That's right. Yeah. Um. And, and then he's like, like fate you, has brought you together. Embrace that. Accept it. Um, and then he's just like, no, no, I don't want that. Which and, that pays off later too. And then we get a, we get a nice shot of Noriko just, 
just a nice subtle shot that tells us that she's paying attention and hearing all of this. Right. Now, this is where I started to think something. So I, I, I complained about the time jumping and whatnot, but the way this film is edited is very interesting. Whenever a scene is done, it fades to black, like a theatrical I, I noticed play. that it does happen. If That does happen a few times, yeah. Every time that the time changes, it fades to black. So in a way, I interpreted that as maybe they're like little vignettes, little stories that are adding to the big picture. Each vignette is a, about a character. Um mostly about Kamiki, but we do get some for Sakura Ando's character. We get some for Noda and Captain and the kid and Hamabe's character. So, and, and we do get some for Godzilla as well. So part of me wonders, like, is the fade to black a way to like insinuate vignettes? Like this is a tiny vignette in this story. And this is all adding and building to the conclusion um, mm. I, I very well could be wrong, but that's something that'd be interesting to keep in mind for a fifth watch. <laughs> God, there is no other movie I would do. I would do that for four watches. <laughs> no other movie. No other movie. <laughs> but you're right. So we we get Hamabe listening fades to black, and then we get the next sequence, which is in March of forty seven. Which is Kamiki coming home to find that Hamabe's dressed nice and he's confused what's going on. And I love this scene. I love this scene. It's such an interesting, like, we go from the scene we just talked about to this scene. It's a great, great setup. The contrast, like, it's, oh, I love it. Mm Mm-hmm. Because we have Kamiki, who's like, why are you dressed like that? And Hamabe says, well, I got a job in Ginza. Ginza is a desk job. And Hamabe's like, well, don't I make enough money for you? Like, how are we supposed to? Kamiki says that. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, yeah. And Kamiki's like, I make enough money. Like, what, what, what? In a way, he's saying, what else can I do? So you don't have to do this. I don't want you gone. I don't want you away. What about Akiko? How are we supposed to take care of him, her? How are we supposed to take care of her? Right. Like, it's exactly what a husband and a father would do. Right, especially since she's suggesting that, like, you know, this, that her and she wants to stand on her own true feet, essentially move forward in her life, not be in Kamiki's way, essentially. And she even says, at this rate, you'll never have a wife. Exactly. And I love that because Hamabe's character knows what she's doing. In a way, she's like saying, okay, I'm not going to wait forever. You need to make the move because both Kamiki and Hamabe's character know what they feel because that's later on established. Um, Captain says, it's your fault you didn't marry um, Hamabe's character. You knew how she felt, and he says, don't you think I felt the same way? I love that. Like, there's setup, and there's there's hints, and there's stuff that if you pick up when they tell you later, and in Yamazaki fashion, you're like, yes, I love that. Right, and you can tell through Kamiki's performance that he is, like, he's not not happy with this news. He 
he doesn't want them to move away. He's he's like gotten to enjoy and find purpose from this life he has with them. Right, because what happens here is they go back and forth, and then Hamabe's character reveals that Sakura Ando's character has allowed Akiko to be with her. Yeah, she's fully happy to take care of Akiko when Hamabe is away. Which I love that development too. Like this is the growing, it's a growing adopted family. Mm -hmm. I love that. And you even get that with the extended characters. Like, right? Like it's, they're, they're all important. They all are involved in the, in the life, right? It's right. It's about a, a, a family, not of blood, but of similar circumstances and situations coming together, which is the theme of the movie coming together in times of hardships and growing together and being that, that family, that country, that those people. And that's what the movie's about. I love that. I love that. Especially in a time of COVID, you know, during COVID, it was like, we need to come together to fight this. We need to like put our differences aside, come together like that's that's what minus one's doing, and I love that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and correct me if I'm wrong, but after after this scene ends, we go to we have the um the American military um mm-hmm. like message essentially. <laughs> yes, we have we have what everybody thought was the opening title sequence in the middle of the I film. Never saw I never I never saw anyone say that, but oh well. <laughs> uh, well, when when that teaser was posted, they're like, "Oh, this is like the 2014 opening credits." I bet this is the opening to minus oh, one. All right, they were compare. All right, the comparisons. Okay, yeah. Um, and it was in the middle of the film. I thought that was so cool. Um, yeah, we get the black and white footage of of the situations going on in the Pacific and right. little little An glimpse American of ship was attacked by a colossal sea creature. It's heading to Tokyo in just a few matter of weeks. And yeah, this scene takes us to our next sequence where, you know, our, our crew, Captain Kid, the kid, uh, Noda and Kimiki are all, they've been sent to investigate and, you know, take a look at the ship. They, when they discover it, they're in absolute shock of what they see, trying to figure out what it could be. Little nod to uh, a giant shark, a little nod to a giant whale, which is funny because either the god whale or, you know, uh, Gojira, which is a combination of gorilla and whale. Whale is, uh, that's uh, Jira, right? Kujira. Kujira, right. Um, so I thought that was funny. Um, now... Kamiki's character says, after seeing fish floating, yes. that look like deep sea the fish. Same deep sea fish that had their stomachs regurgitated. Now he says, Gojira. Everybody's like, what's this? Um, this is we, where we learn about the government cover up of what happened on Odo Island. It said that the Americans just killed everybody, but it was actually Godzilla the whole Odo Island legend and whatnot. Now, one thing I'm confused about 
did Noda know all of this and he was waiting for somebody yeah. to say something? Yeah, I I found that a little odd how much Noda knew. He He's always, the way I'm interpreting it is that he's like... Smart enough to figure Akitsu, it out? No, Akitsu's the captain, but Noda's kind of the one that like is is the one who gets like briefed by the government. Yes. He's he's the one who's like like all right, we're going here, we're doing this, yada yada yada. Mhm. Which makes sense cuz later um like he gets eyed by the group later to, you know, come up with a plan to defeat Godzilla. Right. See, uh, see I when I watched it the first time I was like, does he know all of this? Does he know about yeah, Godzilla? It's, it's a it's a he doesn't know about Godzilla specifically. He just he knows something is up and he's not he doesn't entirely know everything about. It. He just well, knows like on my second viewing I was like, okay, so he's like saying that they're not allowed to talk about it. Maybe that was in the contract they signed. Right. So yeah, like exactly. maybe it's like he knows that um he knows that the government told that him Takao to come here. Is coming. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe he was just told that that stuff was happening, and he's, you know, I, I feel like he was told the need to know stuff. Yes, and then he links it all together once he learns about the Godzilla thing, and then suddenly they're all on the same page. Right. Yeah. Because I I think it'd be weird if he explained all of that there, right? Um. No, I think but, I, I think that's what's happening. Yeah, is he knew some details and is just putting it all together. Um, but what I really think is kind of interesting about the sequence is Yamazaki's love of aliens shines through here because essentially what they've been told is they're expendable. Their lives are not important to the Japanese government, which is something important later. Love that. Mm. Um. Because they're there to stall Godzilla stall until until the destroyer comes. Yeah, the Takao. And they're only in tiny boats, and they're required to use the mines they're salvaging to do it, and they can only hold two at a time. And this thing took down a U.S. destroyer, and they're wanting tiny tugboats to take care of it that are made out of wood. Right, yeah. So I, I, and you know, that's just like how an alien Waylon Yutani was like crew expendable. Just get the thing back here, right? And um, the and the captain is is very responsive to this. <laughs> like there it is when he's told about uh, that they can't talk to it about anyone. He's like there it is, their favorite gag order. And I love his because he's like aha. <laughs> like I love it. He's such a ah. Uh, his yeah. His performance is great. He's he is easily he's he's, most, a, he's one of the standouts. Honestly, he's he's the most lively. Um, he's the most lively in the middle part of the film, and then I think it goes to Noda, and then it goes to the kid at the very end. Um, Kamiki's <laughs> oh, just the captain's still a good lot of fun. oh, absolutely. <laughs> like I'm not saying that All he takes that. a step back, but. He shines in the middle part of the film. Noda shines in the third, fourth, like three-fourths of the way through the film. The kid shines in the final part. And Kamiki's throughout all of it, of course. Um, now, <laughs> I love how Godzilla's entrance is. 
Um, because they're like, let's start planning for this, and then Godzilla just takes out the other bow like within two seconds. Right. <laughs> yeah. Kamiki not- sees the fish floating up, and then they're like, Godzilla's here, Godzilla's here, and then it's gone. <laughs> yeah. Like the the captain is he's not confident in in their ability to like defeat Godzilla, but he's like, somebody's gotta do it, you know? <laughs> Well, I don't want to see Tokyo engulfed in flames. Right. Um, but just going back a little bit, um, like a lot of those lines about um, just the Japanese government, like, oh, their favorite gag order. And there's various other points in the film where they kind of criticize the government for not being very involved in this situation. That, especially like later on after following Godzilla's attack, that is in direct response to COVID. <laughs> oh, that, that's those, true. Yeah. That, that like Yamazaki took like what was going on, probably his opinions and the opinions of people around for, in terms of like government response. And that bleeds into the script. It's also worthy. It's really interesting. It's also worthy to note here. So you would think, so in post-war Japan, occupied japan japan has no military right so the japanese government's gone like there's nothing really there which is why they aren't present in the film really they're just background because at this point that that's all they were was just background um for the main government at the time which was the u.s military that was you know occupying and reforming japan at the time but during the black and white footage montage, it's established that General uh, MacArthur told Japan, hey, we're worried more about the Soviets than this giant undersea creature. It's up to you to figure it out. We're not handling right. it. Um, which, I mean, in a way, like, if you go based off of history, MacArthur's the reason the SDF exists, um, my understanding at least. But I still like that's like the U.S. government's worthless. Like I love how like it's established that the U.S. government's just worthless. Like they don't care. They're off doing their own escapades. Like why would like America doesn't give it to, you know, about Japan. And then I love how the Japanese government's just like we're not here. We're not here. It, we we have nothing here. I love that. And I love that it it's up to the citizens to take control. It's very much like in a classic Ishiro Honda film or Jun Fukuda film where it's not the government that solves the issues. It's the, the reporters, the scientists, the, the people who give the military these options to save the day, and they're the reason things happen. I love that. Um, right. This is very much a Shoah-esque film in that regards, giving the power to the people, not the government, which is what like the Heisei and Millennium films would do, was giving the power to the military and the government and those people more so than the scientists and the reporters and the regular people. Mm-hmm. And also another thing I want to I um, interject here is there's an in- interesting choice of names for the ships. Um, 
the two ships. One of them is the Shinsei Maru, the other is the Kaishin Maru. The one of the kanjis, the middle kanji, which is Shin, or by itself it would be, sorry, Shu, sorry, or which by itself would just be Susumu, means progress. Interesting that the ship with the word progress in it is the one that Godzilla immediately takes out. And then on top of that, you know, this film very much has a theme of life going on. The Shinsei Maru, Shinsei refers to new life or rebirth. Huh. Little, little things like that. I I love, I love little things like that. Definitely intentional. 110%. Like Kaishin Maru, you could probably argue, I don't know if that's 100% intentional, but Shinsei. Well, Godzilla's destroying progress. Yeah, but Shinsei Maru, that is absolutely intentional. That that is absolutely intentional. <laughs> now, it's also worthy to note here that this whole this whole team and this boat is very much inspired by a film from 1975. Jaws. And that's 100% intentional. Not only did Yamazaki mm-hmm. say that Jaws inspired the film, but Yamazaki has gushed about Spielberg plenty of times prior to this film. He's talked about Close Encounters of the Third Kind. He's talked about Jaws. He's talked about Jurassic Park. He loves Spielberg. This whole sequence is Jaws. Like, this is the, and like, the solution is Jaws. It's Jaws. Like, all of this is Jaws. <laughs> um, so Godzilla destroys the other boat. The team that we've been following now has to run away from Godzilla, which we get some fun interactions, you know, Kamiki manning the gun, Captain controlling the boat, Doc or Noda, fixing everything and trying to help where he can. And the kid... Kamiki briefly freezes up as well. Yes, I love that. Like, he he gets anxiety when he gets onto a weapon. Um, Mm. I love that. He's just terrified of Godzilla. Mm -hmm. And so they, they dropped... They have two mines. So they have to kill Godzilla with two mines, which, you know, when you think about that, it's like, what? Hmm. So they drop the first mine. It explodes on the fins. Nothing happens. Mm. They're trying to get away from Godzilla. A little angrier. Yeah. And his head pops out, which the CGI. Oh, my God. Amazing. There is a shot that a lot of people were like, is this practical? I, I was no. wondering. it but like no. You're no. talking about the, the head. The head with the mine going in it. Yeah, with like the mine in the mouth. Like yeah. there's a close up of just the the lower half of the mouth. It looks, it looks like a real prop. Like it looks like a prop more mm-hmm. than like CG. That that mm-hmm. is incredible. <laughs> now, bravo, <clears throat> bravo. Question: The music during this is this uh, the the music I brought up earlier? I'm pr- pretty sure it's. I'm pretty sure it's confusion. It's either confusion or portent. Okay. Um, so if it's confusion, I I'm, I messaged you about this. The music in confusion is very similar to the music from the Alien teaser trailer from 1979. 
because it's it's very ambient, it's very fast, it's very like it's stressful. It's a higher pitch sound. It's like, yeah, it's confusion. It's confusion. I love like I it's stressful. It's so stressful just listening yeah. to the track. Um, but like I said, the the music for all of Godzilla's first appearances before the Gins are seen, very very eerie. Very, they sound it sounds like sirens. Yeah, <laughs> and I love no that. I love the that. confusion especially. It's like sirens all the way. Yeah, confusion um, and fear. Those sirens. <laughs> mm-hmm. And yeah, no, amazing. So the first one doesn't work. Godzilla's angrier now. They're trying to get away from him. They drop the next one, but they're like, let's go for the mouth. That's an, an idea from Noda. They drop the mine. They It goes into Godzilla's mouth. They go to blow it up, but the line has been cut. through the cable. <laughs> I wonder what that's a reference to. <laughs> And so they're like, what are we going to do? Godzilla has this explosive item in his mouth. Um, and again, I wonder what that's referencing. And they're in Kamiki's like, Kamiki goes to shoot. Kamiki's shooting a gun from a boat into the mouth of the monster. <laughs> and it blows up. And it blows up his face and it kills Godzilla. Or Seemingly. stunts him. And it also damages their ship with shrapnel flying around yes, and drink at Kamiki the end, and Yuki Yamada. At the end of the boat is now destroyed like a thing came onto it. <laughs> Jaws much? I think so. No, not at all. What are you talking about? So Godzilla stopped dead in his tracks, and we think we're fine. Kamiki's got a concussion and is bleeding, and everybody's shaken up and whatnot. <laughs> and then, and then Godzilla, his head grows back. It grows back, and it's it's the most like unnerving thing ever. <laughs> like, oh my god, it was horrifying. And he's back, and he rises out of the water, and he's it looks amazing. He, he's and then pissed. he's pissed. And then we get oh, the sound design in this movie is horrifyingly awesome. Um, it's so powerful. Then we get explosions because Godzilla's being shot at. It's the Takao. Which is shot in a way that's very heroic. Um, right. Everybody's happy to see it. But Godzilla just goes under the water after being shot at. I mean, he's he's kind of sunk, but he goes down and he swims to the boat. Mm. Yeah. He, he then rises grapples onto the boat and just tears through it. <laughs> mm-hmm. The guns and eventually knock him down, but then as the music, as the beautiful music, the track Divine here, credible, credible track plays. He goes under, underneath the ship. The water starts to light blue. And then the Tikal just explodes. Which, this whole scene is so intense. Like, the fight sequences with Godzilla in this movie are so, 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 so intense. Like, it's fast-paced, it's action-packed, it's loud, it's large, it's fun. 
And it's like, oh my God, like this is so crazy. Right. And like, you know, it just, Godzilla is <laughs> seemingly unstoppable. Like, you know, he's impacted by like the, uh, the shots from the Takao, but they don't do much in the grand no. scheme of things. They just make him angrier. They, they just delay the inevitable, essentially. Right. Yeah. And this, and every time he uses his atomic breath in this film was like an event. And this is the very first one. Mm-hmm. And to our characters, this is absolutely horrific. And even oh, yeah. to put like, again, <laughs> person next to me, <laughs> friend next to me, she was just in shock when this happened. <laughs> but I, in What's here. What's even cooler is that the atomic breath also, when he rises back up, later and roars you can see the atomic breath is every time he uses it it scars his face right yeah because we get godzilla for him Mm -hmm. we get godzilla up and roaring and then he he turns around and goes into the ocean and then kamiki passes out again this time he has a concussion so it's like ooh, yeah you're bleeding a lot makes sense but yeah Eventually, he wakes up in a hospital uh, with yeah everyone else who was on the boat. Godzilla, Godzilla's whereabouts are unknown. That the government don't, isn't telling the people because they don't. No one's willing to take responsibility for all the panic that'll ensue. And, and from here, I mean, it, it it the way I insinuate it, and again, this is the problem, you know, jumping time and whatnot. Um, but he goes back to the house and Hamabe's character is like, you know, I've, we've lived together for like over two years. They say two years, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I know nothing about your, like, you don't let me into your life. Very much like what a couple would say. And then we get something that I think is really, really really cool so this film essentially establishes that kamiki has created this self-inflicted grudge which is so cool so he he starts off talking about how he is a kamikaze pilot that left his post which she's already like wow okay um shocked by yeah and then he tells her about the mechanics on odo island the first appearance of Godzilla, and now that Godz- and tells her that Godzilla has just reappeared. He also shows right. her the photos of all the mechanics and their families. But then he says that perhaps he he insinuates that perhaps they're I'm someone haunting- who wasn't supposed to live. Yes, and he insinuates that they're haunting him, waiting for him to meet them in death. Mm. Which is such a cool idea. Like, the way they're going about it, like, essentially it's making it so Kamiki's character is haunted. Like, they are haunting him. The souls of the dead are haunting him, something that Jim K kind of did with how Godzilla was the culmination <laughs> of the dead, right? Um, I guess here, so. Here it's Kamiki who has created this self-grudge to haunt him they will not stop until he is dead 
and like knowing understanding how grudges work in Japanese, you know, lore and whatnot. That's a scary thought. And this is all in his head. Like, this isn't real. Like, none of this is happening. None of this is really supernatural. But to him, it it's very much real. And to him, Godzilla symbolizes that. You know, in, in a way, Kamiki and Godzilla are the same. Um, both have grudges. Both their war is not over. Right? Even though the line, which I'm surprised we haven't talked about this yet, the line in the movie, that monster will never forgive us, is not actually in the film. It's a clever no, edit. But that but the film very much does go out of its way in a scene to emphasize the tragedy of Godzilla as a creature. Right. The both of them have something they're trying to settle. Um, Godzilla can't forgive mankind, and he's out to destroy them. Kamiki cannot forgive himself. He is in pain. Godzilla is in pain, and Kamiki is out to end his war. And his war is with Godzilla. Godzilla's war is with humanity. They are both the same character on completely opposite sides of the spectrum. And I love that. That's such a, like, I love that. I love the fact that, in a way, you can kind of see where Godzilla can relate to a human character and vice versa. Not like one-to-one, of course, not not to a T, but there is similarities. There is parallels. That is why it is crucial for Kamiki to deal with the Godzilla situation. That is the only way he can be put to rest. That's the only way that his self-inflicted grudge can be lifted. Mm. Yeah, and now this is one of my favorite scenes in the movie, partially due to Noriko's line that everyone who survived the war is meant to live with that just fitting perfectly in with the themes of the film. Right. Life is precious. Do not throw it away. Right. And then it's, this is compounded by the very next scene where, where after Noriko comforts Kamiki through his PTSD episode, the next day he wakes up seeing Noriko just cooking breakfast for Akiko making breakfast for Akiko, sorry. Um, He looks at the graves of his parents alongside the photos and just says, I'd like to live again. Which this whole scene is very heartwarming, I will say. And this is where we start to see a change in him. Because up until this point, I mean, Kamiki's character was basically still the... I'm a kamikaze pilot. I should be dead. Now he's looking at it more as I survived World War II. Why am I not the, like, look like literally look what's right in front of me. Why am I taking that for granted? Maybe even thinking life is too short to ignore 
And for the last two years, Kamiki has wanted to do that, but he's also afraid to. Mm-hmm. Which we learn about why exactly later. We we can kind of figure out what's going on in his head, but we're eventually told exactly the problem. Mm-hmm. Which is a very amazing thing, I might add. But we'll, we'll talk about that. Right. Moving along here, Godzilla is spotted again at sea, heading f- very quickly towards Tokyo. Right, and the military tries to stop him, but nothing nothing works. Like, he's he's no. just going. He just keeps going through. And then we go back to... Kamiki playing with Akiko. Which is something we haven't seen yet. And then sirens go off. He tries to protect her, like, as if it's an air raid. Which you've seen Always 2. Is the radio broadcast in a way a reference to Always 2? I don't know if it's necessarily a reference to Always 2. It's kind of just... Kind of, kind of like a, just a thing in yeah. kaiju movies. Eh? This is true. Now, the radio person, he does say Godzilla is in Ginza, which Kamiki connects the dots very quickly. Noriko's in... Ginza. She works in Ginza. She she works there. I gotta get to her. So I'm guessing she leaves um, Akiko with Sakura Ando's character, and he just books it to, to Ginza. So then we cut to something I think is interesting. We we cut straight to Godzilla. We don't we don't cut to Hamabe's character Noriko in the train. We cut. Well, we to cut to the citizens. Of Ginza running from a creature, from Godzilla. Right, and then we see Godzilla destroying a little bit, not a lot, just a little bit. We just see his foot come up here. And then we cut to the train sequence where the train's going, and then the train comes flying, and <laughs> they stop, and then Noriko looks. And the Ifakube theme just blares through the speakers. Now, it starts with 54, and then it goes to, is it, it's Mothra versus Godzilla. Yeah, yeah. this is the Mothra versus Godzilla one, yeah, because you can hear a bit of Mothra's theme in it. Da, 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 yeah. Yeah. And, oh, I was not ready for this. When I, when this started, I was like, <gasps> like, any time. So like I knew any, it would be this scene that they played it in, and goddamn, it sounds so good. The so here's <laughs> the thing: any time that Ifukube is played in a Godzilla movie in the theaters, for with me in it, I cannot hold my excitement back. <laughs> like this was like yes, this. Oh yeah, is. no, I I was I was laughing my head off just in like like oh, it's such a great moment. <laughs> it's just so good to hear this. I could not just stop, like, just giggling <laughs> like a child. My my face was so, like, I was so happy. I was so, so happy. Um, And God, this, I love, so this scene, you know, you get the Arega Gojira. You get that. And then it cuts to inside the train where then we get kind of this dolly crane shot that goes down into the into the window fades through the window to Godzilla in a wide shot and i love that 
That's an mm-hmm. amazing shot. I yeah, love I, that. I love just the shots, you know, going from Godzilla and then see and then just seeing Noriko there. Like that's something that, you know, a legitimate wonder of modern filmmaking. Mm-hmm. Like, yes, we're actually, we're utilizing we're utilizing this new technology to its full to its full stylistic potential. Right. It's, it's, yeah, no, this, this is one of those moments where it's like, yes, CGI it can be used in CGI a Godzilla movie. CGI should be used. Should be used, yes. And it'll work. Um, this might be the first case where I will say that I am happy it was CGI for this film. It, I like Yamazaki knocked out of the park. Like, it, it looks so amazing. So amazing. Um, Godzilla walks through, destroys some stuff. Does he destroy the theater before the trains? No, no, no. He okay. picks up the train, yes. and then when the and then when we cut to the reporter's perspective, we get a shot of Godzilla destroying a few buildings, including the theater. Right. So Godzilla. Is any know, shot I might complain about this? It, this shot is a little wonky with Godzilla's movements. He looks like he's going from key pose to key pose. It's not necessarily bad, it's just a little wonky, I feel. When he's destroying the Nippon Theater? When he's, yeah. Mm-hmm. Right, and now, so, real quick. So the train sequence referenced to 54, obviously. Mm-hmm. Yes. Noriko falls into the water and somehow quickly gets out and is right back in Godzilla's way, which is a little weird. And then we get the Nippon Theater destruction sequence, another callback to 54. Because he did the same thing in '54. We get the telecaster I mean, someone, reference. Someone pointed out to me. I, I want to say it was Blue Nova pointed out that um, you know the setup for this could also be a little bit of a reference to King Kong vs Godzilla with Noriko, you know, the female heroine yeah. being in danger in the train. That makes sense. Um, then we get the telecaster sequence, which is absolutely '54. <laughs> yeah. Um, Godzilla destroying the building accidentally this time where the telecasters are to their death and we like sit and watch them die that was really unsettling to watch and yeah no this this whole sequence is this is the big spectacle scene of the film <laughs> right now I will I'm not a fan of Noriko just suddenly being back in Godzilla's way like I think it's a little weird it's a little silly and it's a little Little convenient that Shikishima just finds her, mm-hmm. but I'm gonna be honest. I can let that slide. It, it's such a it's such a small thing that I'm fine to let it slide. You know. And plus, with them running together, we get the amazing drone shots of <laughs> it going from a close up of them to a medium to a wide to an extra wide shot of Godzilla trampling the people who are trying to run away and Kamiki and Hamabe just running for their lives. And then we get a little introjection with the military, which yeah. normally is normal, but this time it does feel a little weird because it's like, where did they come from? Where did they go? It's a little bizarre, but it's fun. Now the <laughs> tanks successfully stop Godzilla in his tracks. But Seemingly. following this, oh my god. <laughs> the tail 
begins to light up. A dorsal fin just extends and more and more extends. And during all this, it's intercut with reactions, and it's silent besides the charging up. And right, everybody's everyone's just, just looking there. in awe. Until. The music is swelling up. Until. Oh my god. Oh my god. I think this might be my favorite line in any Godzilla movie because this line is the just it is on point it does not hold anything back it is easily the most unsettling and uncomfortable line you could say in a Godzilla movie Oh, when this when the line was said, I had goosebumps. My jaw was on the ground, and I had no idea what to think. Kamiki says this is the same as before. Right as Godzilla unleashes his atomic breath, mm-hmm. targeting it straight at the Diet Building where the tanks were situated, oh. causing a nuclear a explosion. explosion. And I can't say exactly what I wrote in my notes because it would break our G rating. G rating. Rated G for Godzilla. But this is easily the most impactful atomic breath sequence ever in the history of Godzilla. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I was in utter shock. This is a shocking moment. I mean, it's it's a little bit of a GMK, GMK reference for when Godzilla first appeared. But this takes the extra mile. This, oh, this this goes further than GMK went. Hearing Kamiki say this is the same as before and knowing what he's saying in that moment is horrifying. And then just the scale of the destruction caused in this scene. Right, because we get the mushroom cloud and then we get the shockwave. And then we see everybody just get wiped. Noriko pushes Kamiki just to safety. And she is just taken in the blast. And then and then it all implodes. So the debris just returns to the epicenter. Which is interesting when you consider that the bomb in Operation Crossroads was an implosion type nuclear bomb. Mm-hmm. And when... The implosion stops. Kamiki comes out and it starts raining black rain. Yeah. Yeah. As he screams in realization and horror of what comes, the music swells and the black rain just comes in. <laughs> it's such and, a great moment. And then not only that, then we have to cut to Godzilla roaring at a mushroom cloud billowing up into the sky. Right. And it's not over yet because the next shot is of the crater where the diet building sat. And in our breakdown, I said, that's a crater of an atomic explosion. Mm. And I had no idea that it was going to be where the diet building sat. And in context of everything else, that scene, that is everything that Godzilla is. That. Perfect Godzilla scene. Yeah. Perfect. 
like that is easily top three best scenes in any Godzilla movie ever. Not because it's cool or awesome, but it is horrifying. And it just might be the best use of the atomic breath as well. In any easily. That is horrifying. Everything about that is horrifying. From the buildup to the line, to the epicenter, to the explosion, to the shockwave, to the implosion, to the black rain, to the roar and mushroom cloud, to the crater. Horrifying. God, I love it. <laughs> I love this. This, this. this whole sequence alone is like horrifying. Like, ugh. I, I I don't even know how else, like it's haunting. It's maybe the scariest scene in any Godzilla movie based off of context alone. Certainly up there. And from this moment on, you know that it's like we're facing end of times level. <laughs> yeah. And this is following this. We go to Noriko's funeral, which I was shocked I, I know you and I mentioned that maybe some people wouldn't I make it out of this. I predicted that Noriko would die in this scene in that first breakdown. I predicted that. I mean, <laughs> this is true. I think you and I had this movie somehow down pretty well, even though we had no idea. Now, something I also want to bring up here, and I wrote this in my Kaiju United review. In a way, I feel like Godzilla in this film replaces the lucky dragon number five incident and when i say that it's so when the lucky dragon number five incident occurred a lot of japanese historians labeled that as the third bombing of japan oh okay i see what you're getting at yeah no yeah (laughs) now in this context godzilla has already always been an allegory for the bomb but this this is the third bombing of japan his, his atomic Breath is a nuclear bomb, essentially. Mm-hmm. This, I mean, this is horrifying. And and I would say that this replaces the Lucky Dragon number five incident for the, quote, third bombing of Japan, um, which is horrifying to think about. I, I keep saying scary and horrifying and whatnot, but like, I, it's just the fear of nuclear war is unleashed in this film, in this moment. Hmm. The thought that Tokyo has just been bombed by a nuclear weapon is a scary thought. Right. And just to look at all this just destruction as Godzilla just walks and to leave the area, just wow. And the shots are beautiful as well. And like you said, we cut to Noriko's funeral, which... I'm still in shock when the movie was happening. I was I was still in shock. I had no idea what to do. <laughs> um, <laughs> I was I was taken out. Like, I was so taken away by it. Um, yeah, no, it's a shock. It's it's a shocking moment. I was like, oh, oh, <laughs> when she pushed him in there, I'm like, oh man, Minami Hamabe is not in this much after this. It's she. <laughs> <laughs> And I I think I teared up a little bit. I didn't cry a lot yet. Most this of my crying second, comes later. This is the second time she's died in a 2023 Toku movie. Rest <laughs> in peace. But from here, we, like you said, we go to the funeral. Um, we get some nice little interactions between our supporting cast and Kamiki. Um, 
Mm. And you know, it's 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 a very somber moment. If I remember, it's yes, and I'm pretty sure Kamiki says something about how he is cur- doesn't he bring up the whole curse thing again or am i yeah this i mean this is where the the never forgive line come was coming from that's right him, like, that's right saying you will never you guys will never forgive me and this is him basically saying i will never be able to live a life that i was not allowed to do because hamabe's character was basically his his balance his or, purpose yeah her, it, her and akiko are his purpose and now that she's gone, he has lost almost all of his purpose. Um, I would even argue he has lost all of his purpose. He's holding on to Akiko because that's all he has left to remember her by. Um, but he can't, I mean, he can't live without her. Like, she was his everything. She was his reason to get up in the morning. She was his reason to keep going. She was the balancer in his life to keep him from going off on the deep end. I mean, I would say Akiko was just as much of a motivator for him. I I would agree, but I also, like... She is, like, part of his arc is accepting her as his his daughter, you know? Right, but he's more willing... That is what motivates him to defeat Godzilla, the desire to protect her future. But that's not enough to keep to make him want to live. But he does decide to live at the end. Because he's given the opportunity to. <laughs> Nonetheless, he says, I mean, he says he a part of me still wants to live. Right. But he was still OK with. Uh, well, we're getting ahead of ourselves here. <laughs> the gr- the grudge, the curse is still continuing, but Nada Noda says there's a private citizen plan, and you should be involved. Which this is where I'm going to start saying this. Noda's character is easily my favorite character in this movie, just because <laughs> of how the actor is. Oh yeah, I love Yoshioka. He he's great in the Always trilogy, even though his I, character in the Always trilogy is absolutely pathetic. I <laughs> love him. He is such a great actor. I he is. love. So we cut to a boardroom sequence. Which is it? Eleven minutes? Did you keep track? I have not. Hmm? I mean, that's what they said in the document. In yeah, the other they, documentary is. And when it when it started, sequence. that's that's what I immediately thought of. I was like, oh, we're about to get an eleven <laughs> minute sequence. Which, if it is, I, I, it doesn't feel that way. And by the way, we are officially about an hour and fifteen minutes into the film by this point. See, um, I, I couldn't, I couldn't tell you what the runtime is. It's anywhere between fifty, between forty-five minutes to an hour and fifteen. I couldn't tell. This movie. We're about an hour and fifteen because after this sequence, we get to the final uh, climax. There's not really any. Well, there's a little. Uh, I guess this is about an hour in. Yeah, it's that's, about an that's hour. That's my in. best guess for what for when it is. Because I, my guess is the Ginza scene starts at fifty minute mark, but I'm not entirely sure. This movie just goes by so fast. Every watch, I don't know how. How did he do it? <laughs> how did he, how did Yamazaki do it? Yeah, but go ahead, exp- uh, bring us into the boardroom sequence. Yeah. So, um. 
Olak supporting characters and Kamiki are in the board, uh, just in this room with a bunch of former Navy men. Noda is revealed to actually be the mastermind of sorts of this operation because you know, he was directly, he had a direct encounter with Godzilla and, and yeah, was a technical officer for the Navy. Um, so he comes up with a strategy to use freon gas bubbles to essentially sink Godzilla down to the deepest part of the deepest uh, nearby part of the Japanese oceans, the Sagami Trench, to kill him with the pressure, you know, the rapid pressure change. And if that doesn't work, then take him back up to the surface with balloons, which will then cause the exact opposite to happen, a decompression. Right. And now there's a few things I want to bring up. One obvious oxygen destroyer visual yes. reference. Yes. Um, with how the sinking and whatnot, with the bubbles and whatnot. And um, interestingly, they were original. The original thought was to go with some sort of super weapon like the oxygen destroyer. See, I like that, but I also like the fact they went very scientific. I, I, I like this realistic. Um, yeah solution to the to the problem and yeah um, this is called operation wadasumi wadasumi being you know it can be translated to like poseidon or the uh greek god equivalent of of poseidon or or it can refer to the japanese sea god wadasumi being presumed as a you know as a um another name for the for the Japanese dragon kami of the sea, Ryuten, I want to say it's called. So you um, know, little little things like that again. <laughs> love that. Love that. Did you did you mention that everybody involved in this plan is ex navy? Yes. yes. Okay. Yes. Okay. Um. See, I love so when he's explaining all of this, his acting really shines, and then I love how he does this. He raises his head up and like starts glaring at the audience, at at, at the people <laughs> listening to him, and he says, "We will kill Godzilla with the power of the sea." Yes, and he just stares like he's dead serious. <laughs> like this is what we're gonna do. And at this moment, I was like, "This is my favorite character." <laughs> God, he's so good. And from this point on, his acting is just so. Like he is in this movie. Like oh, yeah. he 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 goes from being kind of the side character to like, yep, he's he's in here. Like he is on board. He is ready to go. Yeah. And I like how he's not just a science guy. Like he they they give him a he very feels like an good, actual character. Yes. He feels like he has thoughts. He feels like he has opinions. He feels like he has a personality. Right. And that's so that's that's a nice contrast to your typical like stereotypical like why kill Godzilla because of science and he's like all about like killing Godzilla and he's like he he he's a person he's not a brainiac he's a person mm. and I mean, he's, he's not even really the scientist archetype of like the paleontologist mm -mm. he's not Doctor Yamane he's a technical officer. Um, so it makes sense for 
why would this character be like Yamane, you know? <laughs> exactly. And, you know, that it's stuff like that where now I think it's it's worthy to bring it up. I know a lot of people were like, oh, this is going to be a remake of 54 because of copyright laws and and it's a prequel thing. So it's going to be it's going to be Godzilla, but it's going to be 54, but like older. I'm so happy they didn't go that route. <laughs> like everything about this proves that that was a awful idea. Having a personalized, down-to-earth, realistic story with a drama that is so engaging and interesting outpaces a... That general remake. audiences are loving it? <laughs> yes. I mean, this... I And I, I, I've, I've said this to a couple people. This movie completely disproves the statement, none of this makes any sense, it doesn't matter, it's a giant monster movie. Oh, 100%. This yeah. movie is the antithesis of Adam Wingard in his entire existence and his POS movie, Godzilla vs. Kong. It is so, it is so, so humorous that in just a matter of months, what film are we getting? What trailer are we getting tomorrow? We're, it's minus one is literally sandwiched between Wingard. Yeah. Yeah, I <laughs> like this film. The 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 scheduling, the the all, like everything about what this film's set is like. This is like the the reward for having to deal with twenty twenty one and twenty twenty four. So does that, so does that mean that maybe we can you know this is the reward for reward for twenty twenty one Yamazaki. Hear me out here. Reward for twenty twenty four. I think that's a good idea. I I, 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 I think I think that's a great idea. Well, we'll talk about that at the end, shall we? <laughs> but no, I like this movie is yeah. We'll, we'll talk about the the reception at the end as well. So no, it's 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 nice to have people in this movie, mm-hmm. and that's the whole thing. Is like people. This is a people project. People must solve this. People must save the day. Mm-hmm. The government can't do anything, though. I do think it is kind of weird how they're able to somehow get like four battleships and a fighter plane. Mm-hmm. Like that sounds like I guess it, it, it's the loop of like the military, like the Japanese government doesn't have it. So technically they're not breaking any laws. Like I mean, it's, this it's is pro- also the 40s where there would be far less laws for this as well. Right. This is true. But they weren't allowed to have a military. Right. So, I don't know. Maybe the... the There is... Right, but it's not like... It, they don't have a lot of resources either that they get. They only get, like, a very limited number of cruisers. All, like, the, the ships they get are all disarmed as well. Right. And, like, the... The the fighter that they get soon after this, the Shinden, if I, if I recall correctly, that at the time didn't have weapons until till near the end it had weapons but it was a prototype and it wasn't airworthy it wasn't mm. air ready could have sworn the weapons were like removed but i may i get perhaps i'm wrong <laughs> um but but going back here into the so after the debrief I was, they they show off everything and whatnot 
and some people are questioning it and they walk out because, you know, why risk your life again for something that could be just uh, death? Then they confirm it's not certain death. Like you could walk away from this. We just have to kill Godzilla because who? If if we're not going to do it, who's who is? Mm-hmm. Um, which I love the line where one of the military ex military guys says, "Is this certain death?" And they say no. And he says, "Well, it's already this beats wartime. This beats wartime. Yeah. Oh yeah, I love that. I love that. Um, and then. <laughs> Kamiki's character and the captain and the kid are, tell Noda they're like, of course you would be the one, the mastermind behind this project. And they're all like out drinking and, and whatnot, talking about everything. Um, I did notice during all of this, uh, during this this conversation, Noda calls Godzilla's beam a heat ray. Mm-hmm. Um, which yeah, I only bring... They call it a heat ray throughout the film. They don't yeah, call which... it a Right, which is something that Toho's been That's doing been a, a lot lately. Trend. Yeah. Which is kind of weird here because, you know, bomb. What happened? Yeah. Um, I mean, there's not really much else to discuss there, but, like, it's just, it's interesting <laughs> that they did that. Um, And then Kamiki says, can you get me a fighter plane and whatnot? Captain starts egging on that it's a revenge thing for... Which he's not um, wrong. He's not wrong. And, like, Kamiki, straight up, like, the character... Got a problem with that? <laughs> yeah, like, that's that... Yeah, that's what it is. Um, And then Captain's like, well, you knew how she felt. You should have married her. And he said, you don't think I felt the same way, which this establishes he wanted to do that, but something was holding him back, and then were revealed... My war isn't over. And I love this line. Mm. It it's it kind of reminds me of like Jinguchi from Atragon. Like he's not gonna keep quit because, you know, the war is still going on for him. Except this time it's not war hungry mongrels or anything like that. It's Kamiki has not put to rest his demons. Right. And he's wanting to face his demons like he should have, at least the way he views it, like he should have back in 1945. Which, I mean, that's, I love that. I I love the idea of some people ha- are not able to put a rest to their war until they finish their job. But that's also a scary thought, too. We see that in, like, Kong Skull Island, um, where that, that can be taken the wrong way. Right. But yeah, eventually, eventually, Noda is able to get a hold of, of of a fighter jet, which is revealed to be a prototype known as the Shinden, which is a real plane. Mm-hmm. Although I don't think it was ever. I think they state that it was impl- that it was employed into very brief usage. To my understanding, it was not. But um, in but the, in real, the world, real world, it was not. Yeah, well, no, in the film they say it never made it to field. They on, they made so in the movie they say there was four prototypes made it to field ready prototypes. However, in reality there was only two. So essentially they add two magical ones, one obviously for the film to be used in I don't know, another just to make it even. I don't know. Bit odd, but oh well. <laughs> but yeah. 
the fighter itself is, uh, well, it's not in great condition and they need a mechanic who knows his way around a jet fighter. And Kamiki knows just the person for this, Tachibana, from the very beginning of the film. Which, then we get a nice little, like, mini, like, montage of Kamiki's character searching. But it doesn't take too long, which is kind of nice, because, like, that would be, like, the side quest to slow down the third act, but Yamazaki does not let it do that. Right, that, that, you see, that could easily be a scene that, like, drags the, that where the film kind of drags its feet, goes on for a couple minutes too long, but no. The scene just goes on exactly for how long it needs to. Mm-hmm. After getting a hold of where to contact um, Tachibana's previous unit, he sends various letters slandering Tachibana's name to them, which eventually attracts his attention. Which then Tachibana comes to beat him up, and he does a pretty good job before Kamiki <laughs> can explain that he did it so he would help him. Um, which, at first, Tachibana's like, nah, I'm not going to do this. But then Kamiki's character says, your war is not over as well. Like, both of them have a grudge against Godzilla. They need to do this to right. move on. Right, and Kamiki very clearly expressed that he needed Tachibana to be the one to do this as well. because I mean, they started like, this journey. What? Yeah, and like, you know, to to put his demons to rest, he needs Tachibana to forgive him for the deaths. This movie not only is about life and how precious it is, but forgiving and Mm -hmm. putting to rest your demons. And the story itself just comes full circle, really. Mm -hmm. And from here, we get... A little bit of build-up, you know, fixing the plane, getting the plans ready for the operation. Godzilla is closing in. And the kid is kicked off the mission. This is true. And I love, so, you know, this whole time he's been, like, romanticizing the war. But at the end here, Captain says... "Not, Not having been to war is something to be proud of. Which kind of stops him because he's like flabbergasted because this whole time, like he has had the ideology of like it's an honor to have served in the war, and then you know he finds out that's not necessarily the case. Mm. It's great, I love that. So then we get a little bit of Godzilla getting closer. Um, We get the ticking time clock cliche that Yamazaki likes to do. It's revealed, or it's it's assumed that Godzilla will be there within a day. They need to be ready by like eight o'clock in the morning. And this is where Noda says, go home to your families. And somebody says, so be prepared like to die. And Noda says, no. And this is where the theme comes through. This country has not treated lives as precious as they are. And he's like, we should, you know, I would like it if no lives are lost on this mission and we come out alive. Zero casualties. Mm-hmm. Um, the idea of poorly armored tanks, um, 
jets without ejection seats, um, supply lines, supply lines, and then he ends on kamikaze pilots. And what's the other one hands on? It's kamikaze pilots and suicide attacks. Suicide attacks. And in that moment, the camera lingers on Kamiki's character. Yeah. Because he's thinking After about he'd that. he'd already explained to Tachibana his intentions on, if all else fails, using a, doing a kamikaze attack on Godzilla. Because, and we, we didn't mention this, the plan is when Noda's plan fails, because Kamiki doesn't believe it'll work, he's no, going to fly the Noda's jet. not sure. Yeah. Kamiki would fly the plane right into Godzilla's mouth. It explodes. Godzilla's down. But now Kamiki's left to think. Is it really worth giving his life? He goes home, has, he thinks Sakura Ando's character for everything. She's clearly like, what's going on? What What's, what's yeah. going on? He spends some time with Akiko. She gives him a drawing of him and Mabe's character in like a little family picture. He likes it. He puts her to bed and leaves her with a envelope. He then drives yeah, in, a, to the... in a very ominous scene, just with the music and the obvious, like you know, all the obvious implications of he's going to kill himself. Right. This is his quote unquote redemption. Mm-hmm. Then he drives to the the airfield. Yeah, he goes to the airfield, talks a bit to Tachibana, preparing himself for. For this finale. Which gives me a lot of Kobayashi vibes from Raids Again. I guess so. Um, I get Miyabe from Eternal Zero. I'm not going to stop saying it. <laughs> this is a, a, there's a lot of very similar, not the same, but similar conflicts going on with Kamiki's character. And him you know, kamikazeing that Eternal Zero ends with, spoiler alert, Miyabe killing himself in a kamikaze attack, which is why I very much thought, yeah, Yamazaki films tend to end in tragedy. Which this is setting itself up to. Yes, there's a very, very, very good possibility Kamiki is going to die here, die in this climax. Now, as he's getting ready to um, embark um, Tachibana gives him a rundown of this is where the releases for the weapons. Right. You know, the... after, after Kamiki sealed his determination with the photos and the picture. He he says, Tachibana Drawing says to Kamiki, like, the people on the island wanted to live as well. Like, in a way, he feels like he's guilt tripping him. Um, I, it's less guilt tripping and more just like. Not not guilt tripping, not quite forgiving yet. Although I'd say he, this is this is the scene where he forgives. Yes, Kamiki. because um, Tachibana sees that Kamiki's serious, and he says, "You finally are ready," because he realizes like Kamiki's character is going through with what he's doing. He's made his mind up, despite the fact that he did say, "Part of me still wants to live." He he. Essentially, he knows like he has to do this to save everybody, right? And then he tells him just one last thing, and we cut away. And then we go to the harbor where everybody's prepping to do this. Um, 
since Godzilla's nearing. Well, we also see Akiko um, going to Sumiko, and then she she sees all the money, take care of Akiko. And this is, again, setting yes. it up for a tragic ending. Yes. yes. Um, on the harbor, everybody's happy and preparing. Um, Notice character clearly looks upset. Captain asks, and he's like, well... Isn't it? He's not sure if they're 100% ready or he's not sure. He's not sure. Oh, he says he, he's a not miracle. Ha- he's not. Yeah, he's, he's not happy with the odds, especially with Shikishima being a, fa- a previously failed kamikaze pilot. Yeah, he says that that's worrisome because he doesn't want Shikishima to die. And they're worried that that's his intentions. That's his idea. Um, but during this. Um, Captain says, well, look at everybody here on the pier. They're not upset. They're beaming. They're happy. Because that this was a little time... bit earlier, but yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. But he, he says, like, this time will make a difference. Like, they, they are in control here. It's not the government. It's the people, and the people are in control, and they will uh, save the day. Which is a nice thought for Noda. But then... As a few ships go by with the speaker playing a recording of Godzilla's voice to lure the the beast, Godzilla just takes one of those ships and and throws it at the harbor. Now, he throws it into a very important building. Um, The building he throws it into was the headquarters of a kamikaze training station um i go about i i I talk about this a little bit in my article um for kaiju united um the yamazaki article um but that building was where a lot of squadrons were taught how to be kamikaze pilots and they godzilla tosses the boat into the building i see and yeah and now he's fast approaching quicker than they expected they're not prepared for him and then Godzilla but, rises. Yes. But they don't have much choice but to just hope Shikishima can lure, lure the beast for them. So they set off into the into the water. Um, Shikishima goes to fly. And Godzilla goes on a rampage. Briefly. Very brief. <laughs> um, he, he goes into the countryside where Kamiki's character, Shukashima, intercepts him. And the dogfight here is really cool. I love this. I love the how Godzilla – I mean Godzilla looks like he's on a miniature stage. Like it looks like yeah. they shot in – was it Studio 9 where they shot all the miniatures? Um, it, it, it looks just like that. Like it looks like Godzilla is like a man in a suit but not really uh, on a miniature set. Um, there's some amazing CGI here with some buildings and Godzilla stepping on them, killing people. Yeah, he looks amazing here, actually. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah no. um, the cinematography and the camera angles and whatnot with the uh, the fighter jet are amazing. Um, now, they're not playing any Ifakube music here, if I remember correctly. No, that's not until a bit later in the sequence. But they do pull a Final Wars. Kamiki's character pisses Godzilla off enough where he starts following. Yeah. And there's some camera angles that look exactly like how Kitamura did it with the Gotengo and Godzilla. 
<laughs> and I, I love that. Like, there was some stuff I was like, oh, I like that. That's that reminds me of Final Wars a little bit. Um, Godzilla follows Kamiki's character, gets him into the water, and starts swimming towards the final spot. Mm-hmm. Which, um, uh, once Godzilla finally shows up, they begin the operation. So this is the last 30 minutes. When this scene comes up, you're you're in the last 30 minutes. Mm-hmm. Does not feel like 30 minutes. God, no. Do, do you want to start us off on this beautiful, amazing climax? So first, they send off two ships as a decoy for Godzilla's atomic breath. Two unmanned ships get destroyed by... <laughs> The glorious loss. You're you're forgetting the part where the music is playing. That's not yet. Are you sure? I'm pretty sure that's there's not some yet. music here. No, it's right after this. Ah. After the heat after the heat ray, they're all in shock, but eventually the captain gives the order. Operation Wadasumi Wilk is gonna commence. And as soon as he orders it, da 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 da. Oh, I I I lost it in the theaters with this scene. I lost it. I I was like, I need to get some new pants. I was, oh, I was in such awe. Hmm. And it's, now, and it's just an exciting sequence as well. Mm-hmm. And the music really, really, really fits here. And the editing and the camera motions, like everything is fast paced. And my Really favorite, going back to the theme be- originally being intended as a military march. Right. And my favorite part is where... Uh, the two are crossing? No, it's when everything starts to slow down. And I think it's right before they start. Is it right before they start crossing or right? It might be right after where the music's dun, dun, dun. And then it's silent for a second. And then it goes, da, 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 da. Like it sounds incredible. And it's sped up like the original. Da, 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 da. But this is like sped up times two. And this is all new. Like Sato re-recorded all of this and did it himself. Um. Oh, God, this is so good. (laughs) Like, my heart, like, can barely take it. The intensity of this scene, the editing, the action, it just everything, everything for the last hour and a half has officially built to this moment. And it is great. The acting is on point the intensity like everything is horrifying it's stressful it's anxious it's it is the perfect climax mm-hmm. you can feel the dire need of this to happen yes but yeah they go through with Watasumi sinking Godzilla as his heat ray as he charges up his heat ray oh yeah I love I love the like dramatic like last second here because they they literally wait till the last second to it, drop it's, him it's such a thing that like it's such a thing that only happens in movies but it is such 
such a like a it's just such a great moment i love it it's the magic of the movies like that that is that is the definition of the magic of the movies like this this is one of two movies i've seen in theaters recently that really made me just really recalls like that magic Mm-hmm. And the other film was Jurassic Park. So. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> like, this is just incredible. This is exciting. This movie is an experience from beginning to end. And it doesn't feel like it's two hours and five minutes God, long. Like, God, when we get feels, to this... It feels like an hour and 40, hour 45 yeah. at most. It feels like your typical Godzilla movie runtime. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. It feels shorter than almost all the Heisei movies. <laughs> <laughs> I I love it. And when they finally get Godzilla to fall, it looks like when Godzilla's sinking in GMK a little bit. Like <laughs> it's a when, little goofy, but I love it. It's it's a little goofy, but it's not as stupid as GVK's. I will say that. <laughs> yeah. The pressure seemingly seemingly kills him for a second, but the persistent bugger is still still kicking right because with with their plan b right because he they sink and then he starts pulling and they're like well bring him up um and then he starts to decompress but he chews through all the balloons and so now they're like well let's pull him the two destroyers that are which which was set up earlier by the way it was Yes, because Yuki Yamada's character, uh, the kid, he suggested, you know, if the balloons don't work, like, why don't we just use the ships to pull them up? But and they Yoda say just they don't rejects have that power. idea, like, oh, we don't have the power for that. We don't, we don't have. That's always like twenty thousand kilos. And again, the film just brings more dramatic sequences in because, like, this is like. The crane breaks and, like, again, dire. It Like, everybody looks defeated. This is just just a, such a movie moment, and I love it. And then over – then a tugboat comes, and it's a familiar voice. And the kid has successfully gotten, like, every tugboat from the coast of Japan <laughs> to come and help. And, again, it's the, it's the theme of coming together. Fixing the problem, not not the government, the people, the people who are happy to help. Mm. And that's what they all say. All the tugboats say happy to help, happy to help. Let's do this. And then we get them all pushing together to bring Godzilla up and it works. And I like at this point, like it's like you're cheering, like you're so ready, you're happy, you're enjoying this. <laughs> they are doing it and he's and he's been decompressed with his his body is like covered in like these just like these white growths um his eyes have been gleamed over nice nice gmk reference by the way Mm -hmm. (laughs) and once he comes up they failed yes he's still kicking and he's ready he is pissed he is ready to kill everybody and he starts charging up and again everybody like it i love what yamazaki does here it goes silent 
and you just see the reactions of everybody because everybody knows they have failed. And Godzilla the, has won. And then we cut to a plane approaching. And there's a funny little uh, shimmer that the plane has. Um, it's like a, a very small little brief detail, but it's like the shimmer of hope. And he approaches. And then the music just booms. And yeah, and throughout this entire climax, the, the uh, like being in a Dolby theater or an IMAX theater has been an amazing experience because it is blasting. Like there is not a quiet moment until this moment in the theater. Like it has just been blaring music or explosions or roars or people calling orders. It is so loud. And then you have this moment because it's supposed to be suspenseful. And then you're, you're watching the supporting characters freak out because they know what he's about to do. Mm. They're like pleading him. Don't do this. Don't kill yourself. Oh, and by scene. this point, I'm and in this at this point in the movie, I'm just, I'm, I'm a, I'm a little bit of a mess. <laughs> right? No, the, the, it's so intense and it's it's beautiful. Like now, I will I'm say, on the verge of, I'm on the verge of tears. <laughs> oh, I'm I'm when the Ifukube theme I hit, I I I I, I broke. <laughs> I was I was I was bawling. I I couldn't take it anymore. Three and I'm gonna be honest. Three viewings in, I'm still crying. <laughs> like I I I had to wipe tears out of my eyes today. <laughs> um, Yamazaki officially got me. Finally, he finally got me in a movie where I I I, I couldn't I couldn't hold back. I cried. Um, now I will say between the hint that Tachibana had something else to tell him and the scene prior to that, that had Tachibana right. looking at the back and my knowledge yeah. of how ejection, ejection seats work. I was yeah. like, I'd, I'd inferred it, but I was still like, they might still do it. I was pretty set on them keeping him alive. Um, of course, Kamiki's character flies into Godzilla, releases the safety. You see him fly out too. Like you, you see the the chair flying out. Um, mm. It's in a blink and you miss it scene. But by this point, my eyes are glued onto the screen. I can't miss a single thing. Um, mm -hmm. And then Godzilla, his head explodes, and everybody's like, "Where's, where's Koichi?" And then we see him in the sky, and it's <sighs> what a relief! <laughs> what a relief! Yeah. But I will say this whole final like few minutes we've been talking about proves sometimes silence is louder than noise. Mm. Like the silence adds so much suspense and so much to the film. Like it's it's oh, it's beautiful. And again, Godzilla's head explodes, just like how Jaws dies. <laughs> and then, much like in GMK, just little bits of the atomic breath just start poking through his body, and it crumbles. Yeah, he turns to 
rubble, which is kind of uh, my guess is he froze and his body just kind of froze I mean, up. There was all that decompression, so yeah, right. And we watch as his Godzilla sinks into the ocean, and then we go back to the mainland. Everybody's celebrating. Also, they salute him, though, which they I do. think is a brilliant, just great little moment to emphasize it's, it's, the tragedy of the creature. Yeah. And it's you know they're they're still honoring him and whatnot. It was it was it was definitely I agree a heartfelt moment. Now we forgot to mention that before the final fight really commenced, a telegram was sent to Koichi's house. Yes, and Sakura Ando's character took it. We don't know what it is, but she's reacting funny to it. When they get back to the mainland, the kids there, they hug uh Koichi and the kid hug and everybody's celebrating and then Sakura Ando's character shows up with Akiko and she gives Kamiki's character the telegram. And at this point I'm like what's going on? Like I'm 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 like trying to figure it out. I I'm like are they going to do it? <laughs> and no, I was like, I, I was the, I like, that's where my brain went. I was like, wait a minute. And I started to like, like tears started to form up. In my oh, yeah, I, saw I was like, oh, my God, I was like, there's no way. Like, really? Are are they are they going to do it? And then they get to a hospital. I'm like, oh, and I remember I was like, they're going to do it. And I was like, there's no way. And. He opens up the door, and it's a over-the-shoulder reveal shot. Noriko's <sighs> alive. I broke down. And she asks a simple question. Is your war finally over? <sighs> this is such a beautiful ending. <laughs> It's such a beautiful ending. And and watching Shikoshima just break down is just <laughs> <laughs> This is easily the most heartfelt ending in a Godzilla film. Hmm. But then as the camera zooms in, we notice a little black mark, dorsal fin shaped so, mark here on the neck. Keloid scar? Radiation poisoning is probably that would make the most sense and be the most obvious. But one idea I had thought of, and I think a couple other people have thought of, is that you know how she survived the shock wave is yeah how um with minimal scars. So a thought that I had could be like did she did she somehow get Godzilla's healing ability <laughs> mm. as yeah. unlikely as that is as much of a stretch as that is you know, it's, it's well, like well here's the thing that sounds really stupid <laughs> I, I i i know i agree <laughs> um cuz i mean think about it there's been like a week and a half so, like, that's been plenty of time for her to get cleaned up. And she does have bandages around, like, her eye and her arms and whatnot. And she's got clothing on. 
So we don't know the full extent of it. So I think enough time has passed that she could look clean. Um, it was the shock wave, so she's not going to have burns. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, maybe radiation poisoning. That that would make sense. That, that makes the most sense to me. I don't know, and I, I, in a way, I hope that if a sequel does happen, that's what we see. Broke. Yamazaki gonna end the sequel in tragedy with her fucking dying again. <laughs> I, I like I legit thought she died. Like I was genuinely shocked when she came back. Yeah, no, same. I was I was like, oh my god. It was oh heartfelt. I I, I was bawling. <laughs> but then it cuts away. And in GMK fashion, we see a little remain of Godzilla that starts to regenerate. And then we get the English title card. They even use the English. Yeah, they use the English title, not the minus 1.0. It's minus one, which is kind of interesting. <laughs> and then we get the Godzilla theme during the credits. And then we get an original theme from this movie. And then yeah, at the end, fine. we get. But I feel like anytime you're doing an anniversary film, you have to end on either Godzilla, like, standing there or roaring. Hmm. Like, you can't really not do that. And, like, you have... Rex, you would agree with me. A Godzilla movie ending with the Godzilla roar is, like, hmm. That's... Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Especially with how loud it is with that, like, credits roar. And I love how... the other roar that is anywhere near as loud is when... Uh, right after, immediately following the atomic breath, right when he roars into the sky at the mushroom cloud, as he like those two roars are the loudest ones. And I and love that it's incredible. It, it does, and I love that it's during Yamazaki's credit too. <laughs> um. So every time I've seen this movie, I've made the theater clap twice out of my three viewings. I See, I, I the started theater only clapping. started clapping. The theater didn't really clap until my showing today. That's the only See, time that was clapping. I love this movie. <laughs> There's it. There it is. There it is. <laughs> Spoiler alert. I, I may slightly like this movie. Um, So much that when I first saw it, I was like, I'm not like, I'm starting the clapping. Like, so once it ended, I was... I'm I like, started. I, ha- I have to see this again. <laughs> um. So I got people in. It was like during the title sequence, the end title sequence, where I got them to clap. And then every time Yamazaki's name shows up, I clap again. Mm-hmm. Um. And I've got two theaters to clap so far. So if I do see it again today, I'm going to try and make that happen again because this movie deserves it. Right. And like. Overall, like this film is a breeze to watch. Like it does, it's not a two an yes. hour and five minute movie. I was, I was like very worried at first. Like after, like you know, I, I was worried at one point. Like oh, if, if I watch this again, because I'm like, if I see this again, I'm gonna end up seeing this about four times because it's the two times I have to see it with my friend. So I'm like, oh, oh, will I be able to? What will I? I hate this film by the end of this, but no, I was never bored in any of my watches. Like I would, I, this is something I would never do for any other film. I, do. I will never, 
never doing this again for any other film. Likewise. One, I watched like three days in a row. <laughs> I watched it four times in three days. I'm insane, but I was never bored at any point in any of those watches. That is a testament to the just the incredible pacing of this film. No, I it's it's quick, it's fun, it's interesting, it's thought provoking. They handle Godzilla amazingly. It, it this this is the quintessential modern Godzilla film. I I would agree. This is Godzilla for modern day. So uh Move aside, Shin. <laughs> no, I, I, easily. Aside. Easily. Now, okay. So, uh, are you ready to transition into our casting crew? Sure. Okay. Well, starting with the crew, we have Ryunosuke Kamiki playing Ko- Koichi Shikashima, who was in The Great Yokai War. Big Cast man. Crew, by the way. <laughs> Did I say crew? Yes. Oh, I meant cast. Whoops. (laughs) But Kamiki was in The Great Yokai War as a child actor. That's really weird to look at him then and then look at him now. He was also in Big Man Japan, 20th Century Boys 3 Redemption, As the Gods Will, and the other Takashi Miike film, JoJo's Bizarre Adventure, Diamond is Unbreakable, along with... Where he also played a Koichi. That's true. And in The Great Yokai War Guardians. Which, spoiler alert, I'm kind of sad that that got spoiled for me, but oh well. Now it's spoiled for everybody else. He was also in the Takashi Yamazaki film Ghost Book, which I don't know what... Oh yeah, he was in that. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) And you'll be happy about this. He was also in Evangelion 3.0 plus 1.0, Thrice Upon a Time. He played he voiced as Mm -hmm. a doll. (laughs) And then he is also... A Kamen Rider and Super Sentai actor. He was in Kamen Rider Agito and Bakuryu Sentai Abaranger. Now, which one was it he played the child version of God? Kamen Rider Agito. I love that. That's hilarious. <laughs> Co-starring, you have Minami Hamabe, who played Noriko Oishi, who was in The Great War of Archimedes, Shin Kamen Rider, and the Shin Kamen Rider Crayon Shinchan episode. So that's her second film this year we've covered. Third, well, third film that we've covered from her this year, actually. Oh, that's true. I didn't. Yeah, that's true. Yuki Yamada, who played Shiro Mizushima, who okay, was also kid. who was the kid. Yes, this is correct. <laughs> I finally <laughs> got his name, even though the whole recording I've been like. The kid, the kid, the kid. Which, by the way, this is a little side note here. Um, whenever they uh, Noda introduces everybody, he calls Mizushima Kun, which is junior, right? Usually like kid or like junior worker, right? Yeah. He's the only one they refer to as Kun, everybody else's son. Mm-hmm. I mean, makes sense if you know, if you have a idea on how japanese honorifics work <laughs> right but in this case it would it's kind of weird because based off of the context 
he's around the same age as Kamiki's character, and he's been working in this job longer than Kamiki has established because Captain I has mean, worked with him. I mean, him. it's implied that Kamiki's a bit character is a bit older just because by the fact that Kamiki was able to get into the war. Whereas like if if the war lasted a bit longer, Yamada's character, Mizushima, probably would have been able to enlist. But he, there, there's no way they're like older than like five years apart, right? I mean, maybe. Not like the script gives them a specific age for the film. Well, their age, like in the uh, Mizushima's actor, is older than Kamiki. Yeah, but that's normal for movies. Hmm. I don't know. <laughs> I I think it's mo- I I think it's simply because Mizushima did not get to be in the war. I mean, sure. I I if that's the case, I think that's really cool. I like that. <laughs> but he was in Kaizuko Sentai Go Kaiger plus the movies, and also was in Dobutsu Sentai Zuonger. I imagine that was as. Gokai Blue from Gokaiga. <laughs> probably, probably. It's cool that we have some common writer. Well, we have a lot of common writer and Sentai actors in this. I think that's mm-hmm. really cool. And then Moon Tan- Mune Tanaka Aoki. Mune Taka Aoki. Mune Taka Aoki, thank you, who played Sosaku Tachibana, mm-hmm. was in Battle Royale 2 and Futari no Ultraman. Yeah, he played Hajime Tsuburaya in that. Yeah. Now, that is a docu-series? Yes. Oh, and Aoki was also in a Martin Scorsese movie, by the way. Was it the one with Shinya Tsukamoto? It was. I'm trying to remember which one that is. Silence. That's right. That's right. Following that, you have Hidetaka Yoshioka, (laughs) best (laughs) actor in this movie. Who played Kenji Noda, who was in Takashi Yamazaki's Juvenile, Takashi Yamazaki's Always Sunset on Third Street, Takashi Yamazaki's My Boy Chagawa. <laughs> My man. Is okay, is his acting in this movie remotely like his Always Sunset acting? Yes and no. His character in Always Sunset is absolutely pathetic, but he's also very lovable and very funny. Okay. Except for you know, the third movie's ending. Oh, that's sad. What's funny is uh, I was talking to G-Man uh, earlier uh, before this recording, and he brought up a really good point, and I wanted to highlight it. Somehow Noda is the, like, is your cliche Godzilla Showa actor or Showa character. Like, to a point. Like, he's the expositional, you know, scientist that comes up with the solution and, you know, promotes unity instead of war and whatnot. And he's like, just as lovable. <laughs> yes, like, he's literally the perfect Showa character. Th- that just, part of that just adds to my whole opinion that this is like an Ishiro Honda film made if Ishiro Honda was alive today. <laughs> I mean, this is Yamazaki's masterpiece. I am, I am determined with that opinion. Um, speaking of Takashi Yamazaki, uh, Yoshioka also was in Takashi Yamazaki's Always Sunset on Third Street 2, 
he could technically count as a Godzilla alumni actor, I guess, yes. like you said. Yes. He was also in Takashi Yamazaki's Always Sunset on 3rd Street 64. And Takashi Yamazaki's Fueled, a man they call Pirate. Hmm. Wasn't he also in a uh, Kira Kurosawa film? Was he? Yeah, wasn't he in, uh, I want to say it's Rhapsody in August? Rhapsody from August? That's the one that Ishiro Honda co-directed, I want to say. Did he? At least some scenes, I think. I know Honda. Oh, yeah, he did. He was a writer on it. Yeah. Oh, he did. Yoshioka was uh, Tateo, Yoshi's son. That's really cool. I wouldn't know who that is because I haven't seen the film. (laughs) I haven't seen it either. Um, (laughs) I just know that these late... uh, Akira Kurosawa films Honda like worked with him on right um, wasn't Dreams Honda's last film that he worked on no Dreams came out before Rhapsody in August let's see here Matadeo yes that was the last film that he worked on with uh, Akira Kurosawa he was directorial advisor and co-writer on that one and he was okay. associate director on Rhapsody in August. Interesting. Interesting. Um, he was also, uh, going back to Yoshioka, he was in the Ken Watanabe starring film uh, Fukushima 50. Oh, yeah. Um, I really need to see that movie. I really want to see that. Moving on, we have your favorite. Is this your favorite actress and actress actress in this movie? Sakura Ando playing Sumiko Oka? Who who would you say is your favorite? Because for me, it's Yoshioka. I mean, I love this entire cast. In terms of like what they contribute to the movie, it would probably be whom I imagine is the next actor on your list, Kuronosuke Sasaki, as Yoji Akitsu, the captain. Okay. But like Sakura Ando, I've seen a fair few of her movies, um, and like ever since I saw Love Exposure, I thought she was a great actress. <laughs> gotcha see so for her credits i i put love exposure because i know you love that one but the yes. only tokusatsu film she was in that i could find was the great war uh the great yokai war guardians i mean she was also in um yamazaki's destiny that's right she was yeah and there was one other film there was a film i saw that she starred alongside yuki yamato with i think I can't I, I can't think of what it was. Oh, it might have been Shoplifters, actually. It might have been Shoplifters. Yeah, I was going to say Shoplifters. And then she was also in, I know, the film that you've been talking a lot about, Monster. Mm-hmm. Yes, yes, she was in that. <laughs> um, and you were correct. The next person on my list was uh, Chernosuke Sasaki, playing Yoji uh, Akita who was in all three of the 20th century boys films from Toho. I, I, if it wasn't for Yoshioka, I would say that he's probably my favorite actor because he has the funniest line in the movie. (laughs) Well, actually I'll say Yoshioka sets him up for the funniest line. (laughs) The whole gag on a bit. Yeah. Cause Yoshioka says, I thought you hated taking orders from the government. And then he says, with the passion, somebody's got to do it. I love that. 
I love this. And then Godzilla rises up and <laughs> destroys the other boat. Never mind. Never mind. Every time I see the movie in theaters, that's the that line gets him the like the laugh of the film. Everybody thinks that's hilarious. I love it. Moving on to actually, before we move on to the crew. There is one person besides the the extra that was in both Shin Godzilla and this film. Uh, mm-hmm. There is one actor that was in this film as a double role that was in previous Godzilla films that I could find. Oh, and that's Shinzuke Kasai. That's right. Uh, that's right. I remember him talking a little bit about that on the, the Godzilla Fest stream. Now he was in uh he played the voice on the radio that's like emergency emergency giant monsters appeared in Ginza. Now it says he has a double role, so I'm thinking he was this extra. Yes, yes. There's like a fo- there was a photo of him um dressed up on set. So I think he is somewhere in the Ginza scene. Gotcha. So he appeared in Gamma 3, Revenge of Iris, as somebody running away in Shibuya, which well, is funny because... for him. Yeah. <laughs> Especially given that scene inspired Minus One. <laughs> right? He was also in Godzilla 2000 as a reporter. Godzilla vs. Megaguirus, person running away. GMK, he was also in as a news analyst. Uh, he was in Godzilla against Mechagodzilla in a, as a person running away. <laughs> I'm noticing a pattern here. Yeah, he was also in Shoplifters as a newscaster. He was the voice actor for Lance Riddick in Godzilla vs. Kong. That's right. And then he's a consistent person on the Godzilla store stuff, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, he also appears in all the short films. That's right. I remember him in the first one. Yeah, he's in the Jet Jaguar one as one of like the people that like walk in at the beginning and launch Jet Jaguar. Gotcha. So that's I. I that's really cool. Again. I I love that. I love that little cameo. But if we're moving on to our ca- uh, our not cast because we just did the cast, if we're moving on to our crew. Of course, as director, writer, and VFX supervisor, we have Takashi Yamazaki. <laughs> Do I even need to, like, list off? I don't that? think so. <laughs> like, the dude, we, we have covered, a qu- would you say a quarter? A quarter of his films? And we've talked about all of his other films? Yeah, we've at least brought up everything at least once, I'd say. <laughs> right. Um, if we're talking strictly kaiju, um, he was the director on Godzilla the Ride and Ultraman the Ride. He directed Always Sunset on Third Street 2, which has a Godzilla cameo. Um, he directed Ghost Book. Um, which has a kaiju-like yokai in it. Right, right. Um, and then, I mean, he's done a ton, and we've, we've covered a... Basically, all the live action films, aside from his drama films and his one film, Juvenile, and or I guess two, and Ballad, that are 
sci-fi genre films, but we we can't get them in the states. Sadly, unfortunately, yeah. But moving on from Takashi Yamazaki, you have producer Minami Ichikawa, who produced As the Gods Will, Parasite Part One, Parasite Part Two, Gotcha Man, Another, The Eternal Zero, Shin Ultraman. And Shin Godzilla. So this is, he's the new Tanaka of the Reiwa era. Mm. I don't think he has producing credits on the Godzilla anime films, though. Yeah, no, I just checked uh, the first one, and he is not credited for those. So it's probably because he's the live action department, I would have to guess. But uh, he's the new, he's the new, you know, it's funny when you think about it. You had Tanaka, and then you have Toyama, and now you have Ichikawa. Like, it's weird to think 70 years of Godzilla films, and there's only been three main producers. Hmm. Like, yeah, the anime crazy. trilogy has a different producer, and said producer would also uh, produce Singular Point as well. So I, it probably has to do with it being a Toho anime production. But moving down our producers list, there's a total of four on this film. You have... Kazuki Kashida, who has no other Tokusatsu credits. Keichiro Moriya, Moriya, yeah, who was the producer on Always Sunset on Third Street, The Eternal Zero, Stand by Me, Doriban, Parasite Part One, Parasite Part Two, and Stand by Me, Doriban Two. And then finally, you have Kenji Yamada, who is producer, and he doesn't have any other Tokusatsu credits. And then finally, uh, I'm only going to bring up Naoki Sato, of course, the composer <laughs> who did Stand By Me, Doraemon, Stand By Me, Doraemon 2, Always Sunset on 3rd Street, Ballad, Space Battleship Yamato, Always Sunset on 3rd Street 2, Always Sunset on 3rd Street 64, The Eternal Zero, Parasite Part 1, Parasite Part 2, Fueled, A Man They Call Pirate, Destiny, The Tale of Katamura, and The Great War of Archimedes. Um, I need the score injected into my veins. I love the score. The score is amazing. I keep listening to it. Um, I I think that is probably my... F- uh, no, no. I, I don't know what my favorite part is, but I know that is high up there. I love that score. It's so atmospheric. My part of the movie is the movie. <laughs> yeah, honestly, that's, that's the line of the recording. My favorite part of the movie is the movie. There we go. <laughs> but that's all I had for our cast and crew. Okay. We need to figure something out here. Do we want to rank it with the other Godzilla movies, or do we want to rank it with the Yamazaki movies and the Godzilla movies? Yes. Okay. Yes. So let's take a moment here, and then we'll come right back, and we'll have our Yamazaki rankings. Oh, I've already got my ranking. (laughs) And then we're going to have the Godzilla ranking, okay? I've already got my ranking, but yes. So we're back, and we're going to do our rankings. First, we're going to do our Yamazaki ranking. Yep. And then we're going to do our Godzilla movie ranking. So this is officially our Godzilla episode for the film. Mm-hmm. Okay, perfect. <laughs> I would assume uh, the episode on a Godzilla movie would be the Godzilla episode. I would Fair enough. assume Now, that. Rex, I... The way we're going to do the Yamazaki one is we're going to do the ones we've covered, and then I want you to throw in uh, Eternal Zero, the Always Three, the Always Trilogy, and whatnot, and Ghostbook. Okay. Mm-hmm. 
So we're going to start with our least favorite Yamazaki film we've covered. I think we were both going to agree on this one. Space Battleship Yamato. I agree. Um, for my number four, I have Returner. I think yours. I have Parasite made. Part Two. And for my number three, I have Parasite Part Two. And I Returner. At number three, I have The Great War of Archimedes. I have Parasite Part One. Wrong opinion. At number two, I have Parasite Part One. I have The Great War of Archimedes. Oh. At number one, you ready? Three, two, one. Godzilla minus one. (laughs) And Sand, and for the extra movies, so Yamato, Parasite 2, Returner, Always, Parasite 1, Always Free, Ghost Book, Eternal Zero, Archimedes, Always 2, Minus 1. Okay. Interesting. Now, for our official Godzilla ranking, starting at our least favorite and going to our favorite. At my least favorite, I have Godzilla Raids again. Likewise. Second, Mothra versus Godzilla. Ebura Horror of the Deep. Then I have Ebura Horror of the Deep. Myself, Mothra versus. Then Son of Godzilla. Likewise. Followed by King Kong vs. Godzilla and then Astro Monster, I take it. I concur. <laughs> okay, this is where it's going to get a little feisty. <laughs> Okay. What's that, your number three? Ghidorah, the free-headed monster. I have Godzilla 54. You want to know what I have number two? Uh, What do you have at number two? Godzilla 1954. I have Godzilla minus one. (laughs) At number one, I have... I have Ghidorah the Three-Headed Monster. And I have Godzilla minus one. Wow. Okay. Our top three have just completely shuffled. Mm-hmm. So you put this above 54? Yes. Damn. This film is perfectly paced. Well, I guess I put it above 54 too, but I think I'm a little, a little different. Like... Damn. I don't think I could watch 54 four times in a row. I'm going to be honest with you. I'm really surprised you picked minus one as number one. I think I liked it. Just every watch, I loved it. You know? <laughs> That's fair. I mean, I'm the same way, but I don't know. I I think this definitely is top five, maybe top three. This is top three for me. But I'd, I, I mean, I'd have to rewatch all the uh, other films to get a final decision. See, there's only two films that beat it for me. Two films. Well, I guess the listeners will have to find out as we continue to cover Godzilla. I feel like one of them is pretty obvious, but yeah, oh, sure. Maybe. But with that being said, I guess we can transition here into our overalls. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I, so I, like, I, like I haven't already stated my thoughts. Yeah, already. I'm. 
I mean, overall, like the film is really good. Um, I love, I mean, it's doing amazing at the box office. It's doing great. Like it's critically and, you know, financially doing very, very well. Um, which is just great to see. And I can't wait to see what else happens. like this place. Yes. And I'm, I, I would love for a sequel. I, I'm hoping to God we get a sequel on when I was talking to Jack um, and Nathan about it. What if they did one in the sixties? Like each film took place in a little bit farther in the future. Maybe like one in 64 and then one in 84 like a roughly every 20 years. Hmm. Maybe, maybe. <laughs> one during like the boom of Japan and then one during the Cold War. See, for me, it's like, I don't know what you would really do with the characters in this film in a sequel, but at the same time, I don't know. I like this cast enough where I would love, where I also would love to see them return. Right. So I don't know what I don't know what you what I'd want for a sequel, but if Yamazaki's involved in it, then yeah, please. Likewise, let my man cook. But I, I mean, I, I feel like I've pretty much said everything I can say, really, because I mean we are three hours in. I mean the movie's great. Longer. If if you haven't already, like go go check this out. I know like, we're preaching listen. to the choir, but like. Go watch this in, on the big screen if you can. Yes. Largest this, screen you can. This is a movie made for the cinema. Mm-hmm. This is an event, which is perfect because that's what it should have been. 70th anniversary event film. Mm. This is perfect. This, that is Godzilla. <laughs> Damn right. Well, Rex, with that being said, we are into the final segment, I guess, of, of this show, um, which is the most noblest of podcasting traditions, as, as you very well know. Mm-hmm. Of course. But before we do that, we, we do need to bring something up. Um, we have an announcement to make. And that is, we would like to announce the first annual Kaiju Convies. Yes, the Kaiju Convies are a silly little, you know, just reflection of sorts on this year of Kaiju Conversation, where you dear viewers will get to vote in a a little fun little award show of sorts for based on our previous episodes. So go take a look at the link in the description. There's various categories for best film, best monster, best scares, and more. (laughs) It includes things from every film we've talked about from the beginning of the year, all the way to what, uh, what hasn't come out yet. So, uh, yeah, definitely give that a check. And you'll like Rex said, it'll be in the description. Uh, you can find it on any of our social medias. It goes live the day this comes out. You have up until is it the second week of December? 
voting ends on the 16th of December. So if you want to help uh, your favorite film win, definitely give it a give it a vote. And uh, it's real easy. It's all on Google Forms. So you just select the ones you want. And that's it. Um, yeah, so help us uh, help us make this a fun, exciting first annual Kaiju Con V's Award. And uh, stay tuned because there's there's still a few more episodes left in the year. And then uh, the year of Kaiju Conversation will officially be over. Goddamn. <laughs> it's crazy. Where did where'd the year go? I don't know. <laughs> it felt like a year minus one. Oh, I hate you. <laughs> it all loops back down to, no, to funny jokes. We're not doing this. We're doing not what? Doing this looping ring. What, what about a ring? Into insanity. Oh, hi. See, I see you made your, your ring reference for the day. But with that, I think we should indeed indulge in the most noblest of podcasting traditions now. Shall I go first? Absolutely. Well, dear listeners, you can find me on YouTube at Rexino, on Twitter at Rex underscore Xenomorph, and on Instagram, Rex underscore Xeno. And if you want to check out some of my writing, go take a look at the Tokusatsu Network. And as for me, hello, I'm Elijah, and I have a Kaiju and Tokusatsu problem. Awkward. Anyways, joking aside, I'm Elijah Thomas, co-host of the podcast Kaiju Conversation, as you all well know. You can find me on the rotating hosts for Monsters with Attitude. You can check us out on YouTube, where we do monthly live streams talking about Kaiju Entertainment. You can also head over to our Facebook group and join. It's a great place full of great like-minded people. I'm also a writer. I've written for GodzillaMovies.com, and I've appeared in Kaiju Rome Magazine. I currently write for Kaiju United. My most recent article is about a Godzilla Minus One review. Not nearly as detailed as this, but definitely um, still some interesting stuff in there. And my writing has also been featured in the book Giant Bug Cinema, a monster kid's guide from Bear Manor Media, where I wrote about Ghidorah the Three-Headed Monster. I'm also a filmmaker and YouTuber. You can check out my stuff on YouTube at my YouTube channel, ET13 Productions, where you can see some of my short films and my old YouTube videos, along with the playlist that features all of my appearances on YouTube. And uh, there is some new content, so definitely check that out there. And uh, there's more to come. So a lot of exciting stuff there. I have also appeared in a kaiju movie little-known film called Zillafoot from 2021. I made a brief cameo in the film as Skywatcher number two. It's got a rating of 3.7 out of 10 on IMDb, so you know it's peak cinema. If you want to watch more kaiju, you can buy the Blu-ray on srscinema.com or the DVD from any major online retailer, or just watch it for free on Tubi with ads or on Amazon Prime. You can check out my action figure photography on my Instagram at et13 underscore productions and my ex, the artist formerly known as Twitter, thanks Danny, at the same handle. As for the podcasts, don't forget to write us on iTunes that boosts our ratings and helps us get recommended to more people just like you. If you don't have an Apple device, which I don't blame you, I, I don't. Actually, that's that's a lie. I'm using a MacBook Pro to do this podcast right now. But you can rate us on Spotify now. If you want to stay up to date with all things Kaiju Conversation related, follow us on Twitter at K-A-I-J-U underscore C-O-N-V-E-R-S. 
If you don't have Twitter, you can follow us on Instagram or like us on Facebook at the same handle. If you're like me before podcasting and you don't have any social media, lucky you, you can email us at kaijuconversation at gmail.com, all lowercase, all one word, you know the drill. And as always, we'll read your reviews on air for everyone to hear. We also have a Teespring store. Eventually, we'll have original artwork on there. But until then, you can sport our awesome logo on a t-shirt or maybe even like a coffee mug. If you'd like to chat with us, check out our Discord server full of others that have similar interests to you. Recently, we had a discussion about Hoshi 35, the upcoming 3Y Kaiju movie. It's a great community full of great people. Definitely check it out. Don't forget to subscribe to our YouTube channel and hit the bell so you can be notified anytime we upload a video. We sometimes post exclusives to the channel like bloopers or mini-sodes for news or other subjects. We also have an interview with Mechagodzilla designer Jared Kurchevsky on the channel. I definitely butchered his name. I apologize. And a huge thanks to Rex for editing all of these episodes and all the other content we upload. His links can be found in the description below. Along with Rex, we'd like to give a huge thanks and shout out to Danny DeManna of the Godzilla Novelization Project for his amazing vocals on our theme song. You can support him by following him on Twitter at Danzilla93 underscore GNP or visit his website, GodzillaNovelizationProject.com. And a huge thanks to Grattan Conwell from the podcast Giant Monster BS for composing the music for our theme song. You can support him by following the podcast on Twitter at GiantMonsterBS or on any podcast platform under the name GiantMonsterBS. And with that, we're going to wrap up things here. So thank you guys so much for listening. Godzilla Minus One officially out, and we have finally covered it. Takashi Yamazaki Month is officially wrapped up with a beautiful long bow in Godzilla Minus One. We're here. We've made it. You live in a post-minus-one world. A post-minus-one world. The wait is over. And we will never be the same again. So, again, thank you guys so much for listening. And as always, please remember, life's too short to not talk big. Bye, guys. Bye. We are set, we are in debt, there's nothing to sweat. Life's too short now, baby. Conversation. Not too big now, baby. Conversation. His name's Elijah, baby. And also Rex now, baby. We love those kaiju, baby. And you will too now.